Blue and White Brothers, the podcast all about Penn State football. Conversation and commentary from a fan perspective. I'm Tom Gaffman. And I'm Andy Gaffman. And we are the The Blue Blue and White White Brothers. (laughs) Two brothers. Two takes. One team. Hey, bro. How you doing today, man? Um, well, I'm almost fully cleared of, of all COVID now. I had COVID for a couple of weeks, and uh, I think today or tomorrow is my day to be let out of the house finally. <laughs> like so a dog. I've, I've literally been minus <laughs> two days uh, since November 5th. I've been quarantined in this, in this bedroom and in this house. So Yeah, I think last time we recorded, um, we had not confirmed that... that COVID. Your illness was had COVID, COVID. Have, so that's been confirmed. Have had COVID now. Yes. Yeah. And, and meanwhile, you had a a quarantined uh, holiday. How was your Thanksgiving? How'd that turn out? Well, luckily, everybody else in the house that I live also has quarantined my or ha- also had COVID and has. COVID. <laughs> oh, that's a lucky so thing. They had to quarantine too. <laughs> Nobody had actually made any plans to travel home for the holidays already, which was. You know, worked out great in terms of not losing money to airline tickets that we bought, and um, so so it all worked out in the sense that we are all able to have a holiday here together, the four of us, my my uh, girlfriend and my roommate and my roommate or my good buddy Brett and his girlfriend. They they we all live in his house, and um, it was a good holiday. We were able to watch some holiday movies and um, enjoy some uh, some festive stuff. Mom and Dad sent a an, a wreath from LL bean and we put up our you got a wreath from mom and dad i think they were feeling bad about all the covid yeah oh uh, we also got one too <laughs> uh, i guess they don't <laughs> guess i'm no more special than you now <laughs> yeah were you ever um yeah actually i was <laughs> i don't know about still but you know at one point i definitely got a lot more attention than my big brother did that's true that's been a lot of time with you for a number of years <laughs> all right so can't imagine why no so but happy thanksgiving uh, so, happy belated yeah. thanksgiving you know to everyone yeah. out there i hope you all enjoyed your holiday season wherever it was whoever it was with uh, it I was it was good for me thank you for it was a good so. thursday it wasn't a great yeah. saturday right right yeah um i i had uh, thanksgiving with um Laura, our sister, um, uh, my family and I went up and got to see mom and dad. It was a really nice day. Had a, a great turkey, great uh, fixings. It was it was a it was a lot of fun. Um, and then yeah, Saturday hit and it was like, what the heck was that from the Penn State perspective? And so um, so here we are. Um, this is a Wednesday. Normally we've been recording on Monday, but um, we decided to kind of postpone it two days for a couple of reasons. One um, is that, honestly, I'm not sure we were in a good position to talk about the game on Monday. Um, and then secondly, sure. <laughs> secondly, we just, you know, sensed that maybe there were some things going to be coming out, um, you know, both the second to last final rankings uh, of the of the college football playoff committee. And then um, yeah, we thought maybe there would be a end of the regular season press conference from Franklin. Actually, there wasn't. But what did happen was a whole heck of a lot of uh, coaching changes, like major, major coaching uh, shakeups in the last two days. So on that front, it's kind of interesting that we'll get to talk about it now. Um, so, yeah, we got a, we got a big show for you today here. Um, what we are going to talk about um, is, uh, first of all, some news and notes, which will include um, some, some of the recap of the major games from this past Saturday. Um, 
we're going to talk about that coaching carousel and and the big shifts um, that happened, two seismic shifts, and then one major uh, consequential change for Penn State. So we'll get into that. Um, then we're going to talk about that Michigan State recap. I know everyone's dying to talk about it and dig into it. Um, if only for the fact that, you know, you just need to talk about the things that make you miserable because that game made me miserable, bro. Misery and then, company. Um, yeah, totally. And then we are going to – we weren't sure when to do it, but we're going to do it today. We're going to do a, a season – recap. We're going to do a season review of Penn State's regular season. There's a bowl game coming up and and that will formally close the season, but you know it's it's fresh. Um, you know, in some ways this past game was a microcosm of our season. So we're just going to yeah, we're going to talk about it today. Um, so that's what we've got coming up for you, bro, and um, I don't see any reason why we should delay any longer. Let's jump right into it with our news and notes. News and notes. Oh man! Um, so it, it was it was a pretty big weekend for college football. Some major results, um, and that sort of sets the table for some of the other shifts that uh, that we want to talk about. Um, so let's yeah jump into it. Um, number one, Georgia, of course, steamrolled Georgia Tech. Nothing to talk about there. Forty five to nothing. They they really have a lock on that number one spot going into the uh, championship game with Alabama. Um, so, uh, but the big result that I honestly did not see coming, you called it, bro. I don't think you called it on I this did. podcast. No, you I called did. it yeah. in our in our conversations around it. Ohio State laid an egg in the big house. Um, Michigan State dominated them. 42 to 27. And and really there were it was very much like a um, you know, like a python or, I don't know, maybe a wolverine who, like, <laughs> grabbed onto their prey and just, you know, watched them slowly die over the course of the game. Ohio State just looked out of sorts. It was a big win for I, Michigan I and just, uh, an exciting loss for, uh, by the way, Ryan Day, his first loss in the Big Ten of his young career. Yeah, regular season loss, first loss in the Big Ten. Um, first loss in the Big Ten. Yeah, so... You know, um, oh yeah, they did lose early in the season, in the regular season this mm-hmm. year, my bad. So yes, you are correct. Um, but um, I just had this feeling that 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 if there was ever a year that Jim Harbaugh was going to be able to put it together against Ohio State, this felt like the Ohio State team to do it. And Michigan had, you know, all the things kind of clicking for them. They, they never really had, besides the Michigan State loss, you know, which I think you could, you know, make the case that Michigan lost unfairly with some, you know, referee um, calls and, and all that kind of stuff, which, by the way, Harbaugh has been known to, to make a, a big deal out of in the press in years past, especially, and especially against Ohio State. But this didn't feel like the same old Ohio or Michigan team. They felt yeah, like they have a better quarterback situation in this this season and going into this game. Um, McNamara has played pretty darn well this year. Um, Not to mention the fact that, like, just the flubs that you would see, uh, you know, in a Michigan team previous year, sort of the breakdowns, the the sort of late game yeah, collapses. Yeah, playing sound football all year, more or less. Uh, all year, four-quarter football. So, uh, you know, it'll be interesting Plus to it see. it was in the state of Michigan, and they were... True. It was True. Michigan, the state of Michigan's day, because it was a snowy, 
It was a snowy day for visitors. To yeah, we saw that with our game. Yeah, East Lansing right? was snow, even snowier than Michigan. Michigan is snowing most of the game. So, um, yeah, it just wasn't wasn't the visitors' uh, day that day in the state of Michigan. Yeah, I'll say. Um, yeah, so uh, Ohio State takes the loss. They're on the outside looking in. Uh, Michigan's going to go to that Big Ten championship game against uh, who would have thought? Iowa. Iowa. Yeah, I mean, by the way, just like I, how I picked, and again, I didn't pick it on the podcast last. Yeah, you'll week. have to take our word for it. <laughs> yeah, in our in our Penn State uh, thread, I, I everybody was like, "Oh man, you know, Ohio State's gonna step on their throats," and I was like, "I don't see it." I don't see Ohio State doing that to a to a, a, t- a Michigan team that's playing at home and put with a lot with a lot on the line. Like Penn State against Michigan didn't have a lot on the line. Penn State against Ohio State had more on the line, and we played decent. But just like in that Michigan game, we didn't have a lot on the line, and Michigan has been playing for everything all year long and 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 you know rising to the challenge. But with this Iowa team, I don't know something. There's something dangerous about this Iowa team, which we obviously are well aware of. Um, but I just something tells me Iowa's going to win the game. I don't see yeah, Michigan well, pulling it out. <laughs> we'll talk. We'll talk about that the championship game in okay. just a little bit. But like the way Iowa's going to be able to play in that game is that they beat Nebraska, and meanwhile Wisconsin lost to Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Okay, so like two results that weren't necessarily. A foregone conclusion. First of all, I think you know the way Wisconsin's been playing lately. Um, they're number fourteen in the country going into the weekend. It seems to me like they had a very good chance to just win that game. They would have been the West champion if they had won that game. But instead, uh, Minnesota beats them twenty-three to thirteen. Um, Wisconsin really never got going in the second half, and Minnesota put up um, you know I think it was seventeen second half points uh, to, to beat Wisconsin. Meanwhile, Iowa looked like they were going to take their third loss of the year. Um, Nebraska was up on them 21 to six with a minute to go in the third. It finally looked like the fighting Scott Frosts were like, yeah, they dominated Iowa for what three they were capable quarters. of doing, you know, if they put it all together, but the real reality is they didn't put it all together for four quarters. They started nope. imploding at the end of the third quarter. Yeah, Iowa scored 22 unanswered points uh, to, to win the final score of 28-21. Uh, uh, so, um, crazy comeback on the part of Iowa and, and just incredible collapse on the part of Nebraska. Uh, part of what we've seen all year. But, yeah, as you said, it's going to be Iowa versus Michigan in that uh, Big Ten championship game. We'll talk it's about that in like, a moment. It's kind of like they paid Scott Frost to keep doing what Scott Frost has been doing. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, past Black performance is that. a – Past performance is a pretty good indicator of future, uh, yeah. you know, future success. Paying your coach um, to do what they've already been doing. Exactly. Selling um, out for mediocrity. Yeah. So um, continuing on through, um, you know, the, the, the top ten, the, the most significant results for the weekend. Um, Alabama, man, it looked like they were going to drop it a game to Auburn and really uh, play themselves out of contention. Instead, they had a four overtime win. 24 to 22, um, you know, they came back in the last minute and a half to score a touchdown that sent it to overtime. Um, and then, uh, you know, they had two of those wacky two-point conversion only overtimes um, and managed to, um, you know, to get 
a two-point conversion in the second overtime that Auburn wasn't able to get. Um, I was really rooting for a nine-overtime extravaganza, oh but um, <laughs> but in any case, in any case, um, yeah, Al- Alabama found a way to come back. They did not look good doing it. Um, Nick Saban um, gets it yet again. You know, finds a way to get it done, and Alabama's sitting at number three going into this final weekend, which is uh, they a, a, Georgia. a ridiculous ranking. Well, I guess we'll talk about that a little bit later too, right? Um, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, we'll talk about it later. Um, by um, the way, so a anyway, fallout, a lot of, excuse me, a lot of fallout in that Auburn loss. Cause they were, they were leading in that game. They had, they had held um, Alabama to no touchdowns leading, you know, going into the end of the fourth quarter. So right. they, I mean, Bill O'Brien led Alabama juggernaut offense, couldn't score a touchdown against at Auburn in the Iron Bowl. Um, but so apparently, you know, Auburn fans are chastising the, the head coach, Brian Harson. Auburn fans are chastising. Um, and I know that, that um, uh, their quarterback, uh, Bo Nix didn't play in the game, but he's been getting chastised all year. And, and in the aftermath of him, you know, lose, going down to injury, uh, there's talk of Brian Harson leaving Auburn after one year. There's talk of Bo Nix transferring to another school. So yeah, they already are... fired their offensive coordinator. Right, 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 right. Yes. You know, so um, yeah, it's and it's, speaking uh, of defensive coordinators, their defensive coordinator Derek Mason, who was uh, who followed up James Franklin at Vanderbilt, but then later got fired. Talking about defensive coordinators who might find themselves elsewhere this this next year. Who knows? <laughs> we'll talk about that who in a sec. Um, well, and so anyway, um, yeah, Alabama um, squeaked by Auburn. Um, you know, they're in the top three. Um, Rounding out the top four, uh, Cincinnati had a probably closer than necessary game, but in the end, a fairly comfortable win over East Carolina, 35-13. to 13. Um, Just a couple other uh, of sort of folks who are kind of like in the conversation in the top. Um, Notre Dame steamrolled Stanford, 45-14. Um, that game was never close. And then the other big game of the weekend was Oklahoma State versus Oklahoma. Now, number seven, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma had dropped down to number 10. And um, yeah, this was a game that was very close. And I think it was sort of a toss up. And did you get a chance to watch any of this game, bro? Um, Actually, I I really didn't. um, uh, No, (laughs) to make a long story. Um, Um, Well, I didn't watch anything uh, too... for too long, I, I caught like a couple of glimpses here and there, but nothing that really allows me to uh, assess what I was watching here, other than the fact that, like you know, if if uh, Ry- um, Lincoln Riley was going to be leaving it, and if he knew during the game, it certainly showed with with the lack of the ability to, to pull it out and have a chance to play for the college football championship. Yeah, so I mean, effectively, um, you know. Oklahoma State limited the effectiveness of that Oklahoma offense. They've had a little bit of trouble all year, really getting going. To be honest, and Even um, with Oklahoma this State, K- this new Caleb Williams phenom that replaced Spencer Rattler, that was going to revolutionize their the rest of their season. He he looked just as incapable as Spencer Rattler did earlier on. Yeah, season. I mean. It just it was not a dynamic offensive performance. Oklahoma State with the win, thirty-seven to thirty-three, and um, yeah, they're going to be representing the uh, Big Twelve in the championship game against Baylor. Interestingly enough, uh, Baylor was Oklahoma's other loss, so so they win the head-to-head. It's going to be Baylor versus Oklahoma State, and um, you know Baylor took care of business themselves and. Um, 
uh, that, that'll be interesting to see, you know, how that plays out. Um, so before we talk about what's coming up this weekend in terms of the conference championship games and what we think might happen with the sort of the national championship play in situation as a result of that, that there were some major things that happened on the heels of this weekend's games. And that is all about the coaching. So let's just talk about some of those things right now. Yeah. I mean, just talking about Lincoln Riley, he made the, the, the big splash with, you know, having said, I guess not, but a day earlier or something like that, he came out and said, right. I will not be the head coach at LSU. Next question. <laughs> and it's like, he wasn't right. lying. USC <laughs> hired him right out from underneath, you know, Norman. And it was, it was like, I mean, this my mind was blown. Apparently, USC locked him up for like, you know, like, I don't know, 90 or 100 million or something like, I don't know what it was, but it was like, it was like a, a legit massive mega deal. But what, what apparently they also threw into it was they bought, USC bought both the houses that Lincoln Riley owned in Oklahoma for above market value, bought them from him. So they didn't lose money on those houses, or made made a lot of money on those houses, and then they bought a six million dollar home for him in L.A. Oh, also twenty four seven use of a, of a private, private jet. Twenty four oh first family, first family. Like yeah. we're getting into like unbelievable territory here, and we yeah. haven't even. That's just the first mega splash hire. Okay? Yeah, right, right. And so, that's, after, that's after the mega deals that Mel Tucker and um, James, Franklin. James Franklin signed. Like, yeah, exactly. Oh, so man. so on, on the on the heels of that, right, uh, and I guess the other thing that we should say about that is that apparently this happened in like under 24 hours. Yeah, like, uh, within, like within 48 for sure. What, whatever it was. It was like, so like that statement at the press conference, like, it apparently what like he had not even been contacted by USC yeah. at that point. But Saturday, late Saturday night, early Sunday morning is when they contacted him. Apparently, and yeah. they, by Monday afternoon, you're hearing reports. It's a, it's dropping. So it's yeah, like, holy crap. So so, but like Riley obviously was a major candidate for the LSU position, and so once Riley gets taken off the board, um, the next big domino to fall is Brian Kelly formerly of Notre Dame, gets snapped up by um, LSU for, I think, $110 million over 10 years. Yeah, and 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 apparently Kelly had just said not, not too recently before that, yeah. that he had given a speech to his Notre Dame players about loyalty and staying and he's not going anywhere and all that kind of stuff. I don't have the quotes in front of me. Like they, um, they'd have to pay, you know, if someone offered him $250 million, then I guess he'd talk godmother. to his wife about it. <laughs> yeah, like the fairy, <laughs> godmother, God, fairy godmother would have to come and give him $250 million and then he'd leave. And, and have to well, it was about half money. of that, but yeah. uh, <laughs> that, that was a Brian and, Kelly's. By the way, yeah, half. Less than half than what he needed to leave Notre Dame. He went and left Notre Dame for. Now you gotta wonder um, what, like you know, why, why? I mean, it, it, if it's just the money, okay, but like, it has to be just the money because he had job security at Notre Dame. They were certain to. He's about. He's on the cusp of making his third uh, college football playoff uh, appearance in four years. You know, so so really, I think this is all about getting over the. The Nick Saban hump, because Oklahoma had made it to 
the playoffs several years and couldn't couldn't get over the the first, you know the semifinal hump. You know, Bama's sitting there, Clemson's sitting there, whoever else is sitting there, Ohio State, whatever. They, yeah, it's hard to know what what all's motivating. I mean, like some of the things from uh, you know Notre ridiculous Dame, amounts of money is pretty well, motivating. obviously, obviously. Yeah. Um, but aside from that, you know, I mean, and in some respects, ridiculous amounts of money and incentives are needed to pull people away from a program like that, right? I mean, but like you're, yeah. I mean, what I what you know, both of these guys said ready for a new opportunity. And like Jack Swarbuck, the athletic director of Notre Dame, you know, apparently he's come out and said like, it looked, you could tell that Brian Kelly was restless, just restless, you know, looking. So, uh, and by the way, the other kind of major reporting on both of these fronts has been that like literally no one has ever left these programs for another college football program. So so what's, what does that mean for college football, Andy? What, what does that say about college football if this is happening at these mega, you know, blue blood institutions that these mega, you know, coaches? Well, what's odd is that both of these are these guys are leaving success, right? It's not like, you know, like when Andy Reid left the Philadelphia Eagles, like he was, you know, he had a couple of mediocre seasons. He had a couple of good seasons, but he never had broken through, right? But you know, so then he goes to Kansas City and then figures out how to do it in Kansas City. But like what you have with both Kelly and Lincoln Riley is basically guys that have had consistent success over the last four or five years. Like, you know, it's not like their ability to it's reach like they were in a down season. It's not like they were in a down season. It's not I mean, who knows? I mean, like, you know, I mean, when maybe Pete Carroll you can call left, ten and two for Oklahoma a down season. Maybe you can call maybe, but, Notre Dame losing to um who did they lose to? Remind me. I forget. Uh, Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Maybe you call number that. Three, or number four Cincinnati or whatever it is. You know, yeah, so um, yeah. anyway, it's it's very it's very curious um, th- that they're leaving when they're sort of at the height of success. You know, um, uh, who knows what all the motivations are. But um, again, I, you think, know, the I think it's obscene it's amount it's of money. money. <laughs> the obscene amount. Well, again, I mean, obviously that's going to attract you. It's going to be required to attract you away from a good situation. But like. Is that all it is? Are there other things going on? Who knows? It'll be interesting to see. So what does it say for college football? If LSU and, and USC are willing to pay this ridiculous amount of money and we're not willing to pay players. I mean, look, we're, I mean, yeah, LSU, USC, but look at Penn State and Michigan State. I mean, they didn't hire new coaches, but they retained previous ones for, you know, in the same ballpark of, of, Time and cash for these Which, guys. Which, by so, the way, about James Franklin's contract, I, yeah, something that I didn't totally we were talking wrap about my this brain earlier. around was what happens if if Penn State wants to fire him, like not for cause, for for, for just because he sucks as a coach. Like if that happens in the next <laughs> yeah. three to seven years, yeah. Like what I mean, his his contract money is guaranteed, fully guaranteed. His contract money is. Fully guaranteed. If we fire him, we we still have to pay the full ninety five million, no matter what year it is, or maybe minus incentives. Like yeah, you know, right. the, his his annually guaranteed contract or his annual guaranteed salary between now and the end of his contract, he's going to get all of it, whether or not he finishes out. And I hope we're understanding that correctly years. because I did not I'm understand pretty sure. that right out of the gate. But I think you're no. right. 
But the buyout so, is if Franklin wants to leave, how much right. it's going to cost him to leave, so, which drops precipitously in three or four years. Well, it actually drops precipitously after the second year. So I think it's like right. 12, 8, then 4, and then 3, and then it just come, goes down to like one, 1 million or something like that. It's a very Franklin favorable which, contract, Which, by the way, sure. given how much dead money is out there, someone's paying, they're paying Ed Orgeron, I think, like 17 million to, to fire him. Like, James Franklin's buyout's 12 million. Like, if, if he... If he Wants to leave that other school or Franklin himself has to pay twelve million. Like if Notre Dame comes calling for James Franklin to be their head coach, which I'm not suggesting they definitively are, but there's a <laughs> couple of rumors out there that maybe he's a candidate. And it's like in this in these mega deals and without much dead money's out there, like I don't think these mega institutions are gonna bat an eye at twelve million. Yeah, probably not. Interesting. Seven and Interesting. five this year. Four and five last year, lost. He's nine and ten in his last nineteen games, and he gets a ten-year fully guaranteed contract. I mean, yeah. So, like, yes. What does it mean? Like, number one, it means that, like, you know, the pretense of college football being some sort of amateur, you know, pristine amateur experience is just—it's not. It's not. It's a business, and it's cutthroat. And there are fewer. But it's only cutthroat for like the coaches. No, I mean it's cutthroat for the players too. Well, it's but like because they're, they're exploited, totally, yeah, they're ex- totally exploited. <laughs> yeah, and the coaches you know, this hold is, all the power. Well, the all coaches the and the institutions, no, right? Look, look at James Franklin. Franklin holds all the power in that contract. Yeah, fascinating. If you want to call I mean, part Penn of it, State having the power, part of it is deal? just part of it's just the weird year that it is you know the topsy-turvy year and like a couple of things happen like when mel tucker james franklin get taken off the board like you know who's left to you know potentially fill those coaching slots it's just i I think it's it's a funky year in another year when there are a lot of available coaches and not a lot of available slots the contract might not have turned out that way but what james franklin was definitely in a strong position and he you, you know, you know here's, he it that here's way. Wh- wh- why I think Penn State was capable of of agreeing to those terms and agreeing to that contract is because I think they actually value the 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 fit and the culture that Franklin brings to not just Penn State football but the athletic department, the 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 entire academic institution. I think that Franklin graduates players. He he recruits good you know um, character men, and he and he, yeah, and, he and he's and he's um, teaching them and mentoring them to become better, you know, men, adults, if you will. And, um, and I think that's why they're paying that. And because they like that. And I think they value that they value what the, the, I'm not saying that Franklin is Paterno, but I think Franklin upholds the, the values that Paterno really instilled and in the foundations of the Penn state football, um, uh, department. You know, I agree. And he's shown he's capable of, also doing that at a high level on the on the football field. Not to say he's gotten over the hump and or not to he's say he does elite. it every year either. But, but obviously, also Joe Paterno had some bad seasons too. Now I'm not comparing. Uh, you know, Penn again, State stuck with Penn State stuck with Joe Paterno through some very very dismal years. Yeah. Um. And in you know really After each of the national titles and having yeah, some undefeated seasons, mind you. True, but but still, you know, in the 80s and the 90s and in the 2000s. There were stretches in each of those decades of, of a couple of years of, of 
you know, really kind Below of mediocrity. Uh, exactly. So, you know, but there were some things about Joe Paterno, what he brought to the program and the expectation that he could get the program back to where it needed to be that caused Penn State to kind of play the long game. And yeah. it looks like they're planning to do that with Franklin as now, well. Now, I, I know we got to keep kind of moving along here a little bit, but we got to kind of talk about, um, you know, you, we lost a, a coordinator over the... Over yeah, so... Part of this coaching churn, yeah. like not the big splash, but like for Penn State, uh, our you know key coordinator who's been there with Franklin, providing stability the on one, one half of the coach, yeah, assistant coach would, under Franklin, and going back to his time at uh, at Vanderbilt, Pry has stuck with Franklin for a very long time. Eleven. Yeah, we're years, talking about eleven years. Brent Pry, for those of you who haven't heard, the Penn State's defensive coordinator who was hired by Virginia Tech to be their new head coach after firing Justin Fuente. Um, you know, widely regarded as one of the best coaching uh, opportunities in the ACC. And um, it's a great opportunity for Brent Pry. Really pleased for him. Uh, I, I admire him as a coach and hope he does well there. But yeah, now all of a sudden Penn State's facing a tremendous uh, hole um, in an area of the um, – team that they've had a lot of stability over the last eight years. So what, what I mean, what do you, what do you, what, Penn, you know, what do you, what are your thoughts on that? What do you think Penn State will I think, do? I think first and foremost, I am happy for Brent Pry. He, if anyone deserves a shot at being a head coach, um, you know, at least in terms of any of the coaches that have come through under Franklin in, in, uh, in the last eight years, Pry certainly is up there. He is a high-character guy. He's a high motivator. Uh, he's a great coach. He's obviously produced some pretty solid, if not great, defenses for Penn State, including some great players over the years. And he's been our linebacker coach during our, you know, at linebacker youth uh, ever since he's been here. So, um really been just impressed with him as a coach and 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 I know that you know we could nitpick and find some things that we didn't like about Pry but you know in terms of how we've had some some late um you know game uh deflating defensive performances yeah we may talk there. about that a little bit in the uh season review <laughs> yeah, today but in fact all in all like I, I'm yeah. not happy to see Pry leave in terms of losing him as a coach happy to see him leave for his own personal you know goals and success that he, that he hopes to have uh, he's still pretty young, and I'm sure he'll do a great job for for Virginia Tech. So, yeah, I would say he. I mean, for me, I would say all those things. I agree. He hasn't been so dominant uh, in every aspect that I, I, I would say last half full here. He's irreplaceable, yeah. right? Yeah. So I'm I'm thinking it'll. I'm curious. I'm interested to see how this might shake things up. And you know, while yes, it's possible that Penn State could take a step back on defense, which would be disastrous honestly the way our offense has failed to live up to expectations it's also possible that we could all take a step forward and so i'm excited to see that who, who do you think um are some of the guys that you think we might see as, as coming in uh who, well, who's on franklin there's all radar? kinds of names out there i mean if we're gonna hire from within i think you got to look directly at anthony poindexter who is the safeties coach and the um uh, co-defensive coordinator for Penn State. and uh, He's only been with us for one season, but he has held the same titles at his previous two stops at um, Purdue and UConn, where he actually was a defensive coordinator as well. He is um, 
an all-time great at the University of Virginia as a as a defensive back, um, and he, he was a, a draft pick back in the day when he played. The guy knows defense. The guy knows great defense. He he knows how to coach people. He's obviously great with personnel. Um, I think you got to give him a shot if you're hiring from within. However, I'm not sure that is going. I'm not sure that's going to be what Franklin does. Uh, if he could, if he could pick. You know, handpick someone from anywhere in the country. I think he would he would sooner hire somebody from with from outside rather than go with Anthony Poindexter. It's not like Poindexter's been sitting around waiting for his turn at Penn State yeah. for five years. Right. You know, so I don't. Well, think it is interesting is a, that is they a foregone conclusion in that. that yeah, sense. it's interesting that they brought him in and made him co-defensive coordinator coming in so you know well, you, you wonder that title at purdue um so i, I understood that would be a demotion if he if, if he, he didn't, didn't have carry it. that title but, but nonetheless it kind of says maybe you're in line for that role right Certainly. The, and, and the other thing is i think you might be losing brent pry as his name was up for the buffalo job last year and right you've heard rumors in the last year or two or three even of like could brent pry be leaving so, and from a recruiting standpoint you know to lose both Pry and then one or two major coordinator, or excuse me, um, assistant coaches on the defensive side. Now all of a sudden you're worried about keeping recruits. So well, you're also you know, worried about keeping other members from the staff because you have. Um, that's what John, I'm saying. John Scott Jr. I think was the yep. uh, Pry was the connection that brought him in from uh, excuse me NC State uh, when he came in after Coach Chaos left for um, the Giants. Which, by the way, when it comes to names that are coming up. You yeah. have Sean Spencer's name potentially surfacing as a candidate. I don't know if that's just people, you know, connecting dots or if it's like a legitimate, you know, you're hearing scuttlebutt about that kind of thing. So you're yeah. also hearing um, a former Penn State alum, defensive line alum, Elijah Robinson, who uh, uh, was uh, GA assistant with us briefly under Bill O'Brien. Um, and then he moved on and was coaching under under Matt Rule at Temple and at Baylor before uh, Jimbo Fisher hired him at Texas A and M. And he has been a like recruiting stud for Texas A and M, and he's their defensive line coach. Um, and if we lose John Scott Jr. with Pry, um, that would be a good you know position coach and guy to promote defensive coordinator um, to bring him back and see what he can do because. You know, having him on as a recruiter be a, a, an unbelievable boost for us, um, and he would bring in some some coaching um, that you know he he coaching in the SEC. You know, so that's that's helpful bringing in. But I don't know if he's the guy either. Um, a guy that I and you are interested yeah. in, which we don't know if it's even remotely possible, is a guy like Larry Johnson Sr. Even yeah. though he's 68 years old, man, taking him from Ohio State and getting his recruits and getting his um, you know, defensive line. Just to get a defensive back. line that's as <laughs> solid yeah. as oh, his man. lines have been at, at Ohio State and then in Penn State previous. I mean, to me, he's probably the premier uh, I mean, all line. The best college football playoff teams have like the staunchest defensive lines. Absolutely. They're, they're harassing quarterbacks in the games that matter the most. And one thing that we have, as good as Arnold Nebuchetti is, and as good as some other defensive linemen we've had in the past have been, and it's not a knock away, on for them. example. Yeah, yeah. It's, I don't think we've maximized the whole entire defensive line to its I mean, fullest potential. I would go back to like Tom Bahali. Well, right? he's the last guy who made big plays in big games. That's, yeah, to me, which, that's the last who coached play. that guy. Well, Larry Johnson Sr. Exactly. Right. So, so you know, and I mean, we had guys like back, you know. By the way, he's also rated as the number one recruiter in the country. 
exactly. Larry Johnson. So if you if you want to if you want to bring in a guy like that at age sixty eight and, and squeeze like three to five years out of him as a defensive coordinator, which by Come the way home, he's Larry. never been a defensive coordinator, so I don't even know if he right? wants that kind of maybe not or pressure. Maybe not. But I mean, coordinators have less stress and pressure than head coaches, so it's not like yeah. he's everything's on him necessarily. However, at sixty eight, is he interested? But also, yeah, if you're gonna if you're know. gonna if you're gonna pitch him, if you're gonna contact him, he's getting paid I think like seven hundred fifty thousand dollars a year at, at Ohio State, from what is reported at least online, and I think you'd have to like triple his salary to make him even ponder it. I mean, I, seriously, given what given what head coaches are making, I can't. I mean, it feels obscene on well, the one Franklin hand, just but on the other hand, his this contract, this tenure contract extension, which I think is in the contract, which we don't know uh, specifics. We don't know how much money he got in this new contract for his assistants. So maybe it's there, maybe, maybe it's not. It's maybe there. he knew he'd have to rehire uh, a defensive coordinator. Which, by the way, this is his first time ever hiring a, a defensive coordinator at Penn State, other than bringing Pry along. So this is possibly the 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 biggest and most consequential hire of Franklin's well, look, career outside of Joe Moorhead, maybe. I mean, and what happened, you know, Joe Moorhead came after two years of mediocrity after the sanctions and people were tired of Franklin's mediocrity. And, you know, we fired John Donovan. And, and at the time I remember saying, this is probably the most significant hire of, of Franklin's early so, young career. So, so here, here's, here's my take. Franklin is, is typically really, really good in the off season. Like he, like this contract he just got, hopefully is understanding that that he can is the guy that can make the right moves in the off season. The Yursich hire does not look great on paper right now. I'm, I'm going to withhold my judgment on Yursich until you know the next year or two. Um, but he, this hire of the defensive coordinator position has to be uh, not just a home run hire, but it has to produce immediately because you cannot let the defense take a step back when bringing in a, a uh, you know, basically we're going to have a, a, a very green, very young uh, offense next year. And you can't have, you can't put everything on a freshman quarterback to, to win every game. You need to have the defense take a step forward from what yeah, Brock Pye has been I doing. I agree. So and it's going to be Franklin hard because do his job and and make make him worth what they are paying him and yeah. hire somebody that is going to make this defense better. Yeah, better. yeah, and it's a tall order because of, of how much seniority we have this year. Um, you know, it's gonna, it's going to be a challenge. You got a lot of experience to replace. So, so besides Larry Johnson, Andy, which might not be even remotely possible, what what are you what who are you names you're hearing or who do you think is is possible outside of say Poindexter? No, I mean the, I, I've heard all the same the same kind of scuttlebutt that you have. I guess the only other name that has been mentioned that I, I don't know how much, I mean, you know, are there uh, position coaches, you know, at top programs out there that Franklin likes and knows? Uh, maybe, I don't, you know, maybe we get like well, the defensive line coordinator from like Clemson or something like that or, or what Georgia. About, but. What about the the, the <laughs> defensive coordinator who might be looking for a new job if he's not either hired or retained from You're Notre talking about Dame. Derek Mason? No, well, that's one. Oh, too, Marcus Freeman, earlier, yeah. But I'm talking about Marcus Freeman from Notre Dame. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, and from when I, you know, I, I watch most of the Notre Dame games because Eileen's a fan, and um, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, he's had a he's had a good first year at Notre Dame. He, I like the way he calls his games. I think in a lot of respects, he's very Brent Pry like in that well, he likes to run a lot of too. 
Well, but he likes to run a lot of stunts. He likes to ha- be aggressive um, as opposed to like kind of playing a solid base and like, you know, kind of squeezing you like say, say Iowa more does. more of a solid base guy than, a, than an aggressive. He likes to. Well, anyway, whatever. Uh, dude, our yeah. linebackers are going to disagree. sacks this year. Okay. <laughs> well, not as aggressive as very I good like. point, actually. Okay. Um, but anyway, I, it was it was fun watching his defense a lot of the year. And I think he'd make a good. He make a good coordinator for Penn State. Um, so we'll see. Um, let's, you know, I, who knows when we're getting the answer on that. Could be like, as we're recording, we'll know something. It could be, you know, a, a few weeks, even into January, because I don't think Yurcich was hired until closer to the bowl game or even after last year. So, or the bowl season, I should say. Um, so um, I have to double check that actually. And maybe, maybe I'm thinking. Maybe I'm thinking Sharaka. Yeah, I think was hired Shiraka, like, right before the. Um, yeah. Well, we had uh, we, we wanted to do due diligence. I think with that one, but um, so well. By the so way, much for that, anyway. I think with how rapidly, um, th- you know, these other coaches have been getting hired and moving around, Franklin better get on it. Like I don't think he has the the luxury. Yeah, there's of not a lot of time to to get a to get unless the guy uh, he wants isn't on anyone's radar. Correct. You know? Correct. So um, last, last part of news and notes is just to kind of take a peek at um, the games coming up this weekend. All right. Yeah, we've got uh, all the conference championship games this weekend. Unfortunately, Penn State's um, going to be watching from the sidelines. So is Ohio State, by the way. Good for them. Really, <laughs> um, really happy for them. <laughs> me too. But, um, you know, of the consequential games. All right. Um, let's just briefly talk. And by the way, is the Pac-12, they play on Friday night at 8 p.m. Is that a consequential game? T- number 10, Oregon versus number 17, absolutely. Utah? Absolutely. To me, it absolutely is because you you get into this conversation of if Oregon trounces Utah in the re- in the rematch, is that what it is? It's a rematch, right? <laughs> they just played the other day. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, or- Oregon didn't look like it had it. But that was also no. play- they're playing at Utah. And, and I don't know if Oregon has the ability to do it. I don't know if Joe Moorhead's got his, you know, he's worried about his other job that he might be coming up on soon because um, <laughs> he's being talked about for the Akron position, head coach, which at that point, come back to Penn State, please. Um, yeah, totally. But, but, you know, if they trounce Utah, I mean, you're sitting there looking at Oregon who beat Ohio State. And if Ohio State, if all the other chaos happens in Ohio State's the team you're talking about, but Oregon already did this to Utah. It's chaos, and and yes, this game is consequential in that. Yeah, in interesting. That sense. So, who do you think? Who do you think? Do you think Oregon will do that, or do you I, think Utah I is gonna? I don't believe it. I think <laughs> Utah has their number, uh, but you know, Andy, I you know, it's hard to beat a team twice, yeah. and and maybe you know, Oregon learned a lot from what they you know did against Utah and what Utah did against them, and maybe they have the recipe to, for the upset, and maybe they have the recipe for you know a shellacking. I just I don't know if I see it, but this is a strange year for college football in every sense of the word, um, namely upsets and namely head-scratching you know, week-to-week results that nobody can predict, so it's not impossible. I mean, speaking of beating a team twice, right. um, let's talk about that Big 12 championship game, Oklahoma State versus Baylor. Um, that's going to be noon on Saturday, all right? And, um, you know, Oklahoma State has looked more and more like a complete team. Um, they beat Baylor all the way back in the, you know, I think it was early October, 24 to 14. Uh, meanwhile, Baylor has gone on to have a pretty decent season from there. Um, what, what do you, I mean, if Oklahoma State wins this game, 
there's a very good chance that they are going to be playing um, in that playoff. Um, yeah. If Baylor wins, Oklahoma State's out, obviously. What do you think is going to happen with this one? Well, I mean, it's tough. You know, I, Oklahoma State put up a, 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 a dud against Iowa State back in October. Um, as being played at Iowa State back when Iowa State was kind of rolling a little bit better, they've since lost a bunch of games. But but if they're capable of losing to an Iowa State team like that, I, I they're suspect at some point. I feel like somewhere. Um, I I do see Oklahoma State winning. However, Baylor doesn't look like a pushover either. No, they don't. Um, I, I just I'm I'm not certain that the that they have the same attrition going on at Baylor and the, the same kind of test. They haven't been tested the same at Baylor, both in the head coaching staff, the assistant coaching staff, the players that are there. I, I just, I'm not sure Baylor has like the chops in the biggest of games to go forward and, and, and do, you know, uh, Mike Gundy has been there at Oklahoma state. He has seen it all. And there he's, he's one win away from being in the the CFP, and this would be a monumental achievement for him at Oklahoma yeah. State. Yeah, and they're going to be motivated. I, I really believe Oklahoma State is going to have have it together and be prepared for this. I think this is Mike Gundy's best chance at the CFP. You know, it's the closest he's ever gotten, and if he wins, he's probably in. So, yeah, Baylor. By the way, um, they lost to Oklahoma State. Obviously, but th- their only other loss was to to TCU in a, a it was a two point loss. Nonetheless, they came back this, the week after that loss um, to beat number eight at the time Oklahoma in a pretty uh, resounding fashion, twenty seven yeah. to fourteen. Yeah. So I agree with they, you. They Baylor's got that game. The, Baylor's the ability yeah. to grind grind a team down for sure with their with their uh, in the trench trench warfare they, they they've have, been playing they, well they yeah. beat a, a solid k-state team uh 20 to 10 so uh it'll be an interesting game and again um I, I do think that um oklahoma state has a lot to play for i'll be interested to see uh, what happens there um it you know for the chaos that we're talking about to happen oklahoma state's gonna have to lose yeah um so for that reason i wouldn't mind number five losing but um i mean i want all the chaos in the world to happen absolutely you know? now the only chaos the, the thing that we need to secure georgia appropriate winning. chaos is number one georgia <laughs> beating number three alabama because yeah. georgia being undefeated in the SEC, if Georgia loses against Alabama, they're still in the CFP. And then guess who else is in is probably Alabama How, at well, sitting at number the, three here's already. Here's the crazy thing about that needing Georgia to win. If Georgia wins a very close one to Alabama, the CFP has – the committee has oh, positioned this, this Alabama – uh, at, 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 it's irritating they have, so after much. Lo- like they barely beat Auburn in four overtimes. They I, didn't drop them at all for that. They kept them right there, you know, because they 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 want to be able to position Alabama in a way that if they lose a close one to Georgia, they can still slot Alabama in if all this other chaos happens. And they be like, well, you know, we always felt that Alabama was the best team of all these things because they have all the good recruits and they got Nick Saban and blah 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 blah. But here they have the committee. So the committee's rewarding um, Bama for, for for basically all the the seasons before, all, all the you know, the off the field recruiting and and just th- them being there every year and then and this is just a given that they're feeding it to them they're they're handing yeah. it to them on a silver platter here. I, how many have, times a season has a lackluster win dropped a team? 
I many mean, times. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's just. <laughs> yeah. I, I, so anyway, I agree um, that, that that's a risk that that if it's a close game and Alabama, you know, I loses, but loses. I guarantee it. The, guaranteed. I mean, now the, the only other thing that won't have happened is all the other championship games. So I think a Big 12 champion, one loss, Oklahoma State gets in over a two loss, Alabama State. I'm not sure I believe I that. I'm not sure I well, believe it. I, I'll be... I'll, well, because here, I'll here be so here's upset. how I here's how they have already said. You know, hey, if if Brian Kelly's not coaching Notre Dame, that's true. Then we're not that we we will take that into consideration when how we rank yeah, Notre Dame at the end of the they're season. They're positioning themselves to do whatever the heck this they, they want. are. So so yeah. they have already said we like Alabama the best out of all these other teams. We got yeah, we got Michigan ahead. Right. They, but I, I sure hope. So Alabama what we need? Lost to what an we need? Team. Yeah, what we need. I mean, Notre Dame's only lost is to Cincinnati, who's ranked fourth. Number four. What we really need, therefore, is Georgia to win handily. And by the way, the SEC, look at where the rest of the SEC teams are ranked outside of Alabama and Georgia. Where are they? The, they're, they're, they're bottom no one else, no other SEC teams are inside the top 20. Exactly. So yeah. they value Alabama because they're in the SEC, um, but they don't value. You know, they don't value they don't value that they lost to an unranked SEC team. They don't yeah. value so that they we need Alabama lost to lose to another unranked SEC team. And by the way, I think Georgia is going to want to go in and obliterate Alabama. I hope they do. Um, they basically they, say that 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 we will essentially have all these rules in place for everybody for how we look at wins and losses, except. If you're Bama or you know Ohio State or Georgia, yeah, totally, it's true. Totally, it's true. Or Clemson, whatever. Which again, you look at Ohio State and they're ranked like three or four spots above a two-loss Oregon team who beat Ohio State. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 goofy. Every year anyway, they come out um, with a new explanation. Every year they come out with a new set of committee members that also have new explanations, and it's just it's a bad look. It's a really really bad look. So I'm a big proponent of uh, opening it up to as many teams as possible for a playoff because guess what? Four teams is not actually a playoff. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. Um, Well, look, um, number four Cincinnati has a uh, playoff game against – or not a playoff, excuse me, a championship game against uh, number 21 Houston Cougars. Uh, Most people are favoring Cincinnati pretty heavily in the American Athletic Conference. And and by the way, I think the way the committee is positioning them would say, seem to say if if Cincinnati wins, they have a good chance of getting in. They'd be the first non-Power Five to get into the top four at the end of the season. Um, you know, especially if Alabama loses significantly and Cincinnati is able to move up. And of course, the other big game this weekend is the Big Ten championship game, number two Michigan versus number thirteen Iowa, and. Um, Interestingly enough, I, I mean, I, I think if Michigan wins, they're going to be in. But if Iowa wins, that's another domino for the, the chaos. And, and that means, you know, the Big Ten champion will already have two losses and be ranked outside the top 10 going into that championship game. So um, it'll be really fascinating to see if Michigan somehow doesn't put it together, what that does for the chaos. And then you're really asking yourself which one or two two lost teams are you pulling into the playoff, which would be fascinating. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
I know that they will love Ohio State and Alabama the most of those two lost teams for of course. sure. Like that's of just that, you could take that to the bank right now. It also means the Notre Dame, who has no game this weekend as a one loss team, would be almost guaranteed to get in if if you should be. you know if you're I mean <laughs> you're if, if you got your two undefeated teams in Cincinnati and um, Georgia and then every other team is then a two loss team, you're, you're probably gonna you're probably gonna see Notre Dame get in at that point. I'm voting for the worst of the committee to come out in this. <laughs> I'm voting for that. Just put a final nail in the coffin of this ridiculous 14 playoff. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's not a playoff. They're, it's literally a popularity contest that it they is. can. They it's can. It's a branding. It's contest a branding contest. You know. You know. They are. It's, they just want eyeballs and they want money. Like that's all they want. They want to funnel well, and more it doesn't money. Doesn't hurt that like they're in bed with. ESPN is the no. I mean, ESPN is the the corporate sponsor who shows all of these games and shows all of every week that that people explain. It's all ESPN dollars that 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 are kind of what makes this thing go. So, like, yeah, they don't want you know regional Oklahoma State as good a team as they might be. Right. You know that that they the the priorities get the blue bloods in. I'm voting right? for the so, committee to continue to look as horrible as possible, so that they can be like, yeah, we got to take, you know, th- this out of the hands of a committee. I want to see this stuff won on the field. You know, you can't. I don't care, and I don't even care if like they're not deserving of the playoff. I don't care if the number twelve or number sixteen team is a three loss team that goes on and and loses every game in the or loses in the playoff like I don't care at least the committee didn't have to took it out of their hands exactly they're t- like I want the power back into the players because they're trying to tell Notre Dame performance seniors, on the field they're trying to tell Notre performance Dame seniors, on the field they're trying to tell Notre Dame seniors that because Brian Kelly left for hundreds a hundred million dollars that they are they don't rank them as strongly at, for their play on the field as they do if Brian Kelly were still on the sidelines. It's, like that's a, it's that's a terrible look. A terrible and Absolutely. they're saying it in front of our faces on national TV every week and no one cares. It's it's ridiculous is what it is. So I want to um, see a play I mean, 12 honestly, teams whatever it is the more the merrier because I want to see, I like to call it a playoff um you know lends this idea that you you had to fight through of legitimacy. These, you had to fight through all these teams to, to win a national title. Yeah. G- guess what happens in co- college basketball? You the teams that get to the final four are it is a monumental achievement to even make the final four because you went through a gauntlet of tests to be able to stand there and say, hey, we are the final four standing here. But the, in the college football, it's like, hey, we're the final four of the players, or, you know, of the teams that these committee members loved the most. <laughs> yeah, we played a, a full season and yeah, we're the four teams that people a group of 12 people thought we looked the best. Yeah. And because by the way, it's not how you perform in the field. It's the four best teams as judged by these, you know, the eyeball, the eye test, you know, that's ridiculous. Yeah. So it, it is, it's an affront to, to, it's an affront, honestly, to everything that sport is about, and supposed which is to be about student athletes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Really. And then th- this and makes it about the shafting a Notre Dame's players like that in the open, you know, willingly, happily. Yeah. You know, yeah. and getting paid. You know what? To do honestly, it, by the way. To, to that point, man, I, I do hope that Cincinnati gets in. I hope that they make a splash, I hope they win. and I hope that 
I do. I hope they win it all. Yeah. That 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 would be a huge. Yeah, that's the to, one. To that's everyone. the one thing that I definitely want Cincinnati to win big, so that they can't possibly be left out. And I want all the other chaos to happen. Yeah, let's do it. Let's yeah. make it happen. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, um, we're, you know, we kind of outline these um, episodes, everyone, and um, so we're you know, kind of like put put some timestamps <laughs> and like at this point in in our recording, we're supposed to be finished with our Michigan State game recap, and we haven't even begun. <laughs> So, we you know, however, we it. knew we knew it, it, talking about these timestamps of these sections, we knew we'd run over on this coaching staff. It's we a knew. little loose. Well, it's, it's a the little end loose. Of the so, season, what? Who cares? You know, we yeah. got to talk. When, when are we? When else are we going to talk about this stuff? Also, perhaps we're avoiding talking about that game. We it says here what? we're supposed to talk about this for twenty minutes. Let's go. Let's go ten. Let's go four. <laughs> Um, Okay, so Michigan State, Penn State, um, of course, um, ended our regular season this past Saturday, a 3.30 game against Michigan State. And, uh, you know, I got to say, it was just a wonderful sight to behold. Just turning on the television and you're there watching the snow fall. Right, you can barely it, you know, see a Michigan Penn State St- player on the field. Michigan State in their green and Penn State in their white, yeah. and like the green of the field and the white of the snow and the white of Penn. I mean, it was it was hard to even see it, but it was just it was awesome. A great, great yeah, Big was. Ten football Re- in November reminds me had of that, that all the makings, all the makings of a great day for Penn State football. And then kickoff happened. Yeah, <laughs> that game reminds uh, me of when we were kids. Dad took us to that snowball game. Um, yeah, well, it was a '94, no '96. I forget when it was, and it was the Mich- It was a Michigan game, and it was just the snow was packed under the bleachers, and and we our feet were absolutely frozen. And uh, ice block. Did yeah. we win that game? I, I we've talked about it in the past. I don't recall. I, that was like the, the, the everyone was throwing snowballs. Yeah, at the, we you know, were end of the game. In trouble. Yeah. Um. So, but anyway, um, it. It, it didn't turn out well for Penn State. Um, it was a 30 to 27 loss, continuing the trend of every loss this year being a, a single digit loss. Um, you know, Penn State had the opportunity to win the game going, you know, well into the, the game. It was a, a Penn State had the lead in the third quarter. Um, didn't start out that way. Um, you know, Penn State gave up, gave up a quick 14 points. We, we, let Michigan State score on their first drive, had a quick three and out. Jordan Stout had a marvelous punt down at the one-yard line, and then the defense gave up a 99-yard drive uh, to basically be down 14 points. I, you know, At that point, I thought the game was basically over. Not so. Penn State came back, uh, scored uh, two touchdowns to tie it, um, and had a chance to kick a field goal going into halftime. Um that I guess would have tied it again because, um, you know, Michigan State had scored a, a field goal in the second quarter. Um, missed the chip shot field goal. So we were down by only yarder, three. Yarder, something like that. Down by only three going into halftime. Um, and we scored first in the third quarter. Um, so, uh, you know, nearing the end of the third quarter, we were up 20 to 17. Um, we gave up a touchdown. We're within one score, and and um, yeah, we just we just couldn't hold it together. You know, Andy, um, it, it's it's just you know for all the things that Franklin has not done well over the years, like you know we have we haven't typically been a fast starting team, but in the in the 
week leading up to this game, especially after signing the mega deal, he he had that press conference about the deal that he signed. He talked talked about getting better and reaching that next plateau. And to come out flat in this game, just yeah, is a bad, bad look, dude. Real bad look. Real real bad look. And it, it it's just kind of just shined a, a brighter spotlight on on some of the things that Franklin just hasn't been able to do yet. And it's yeah, it was really, I mean, in a lot of ways, it was a microcosm of the season yeah. or even really of the past two seasons, to, for that matter, you know, and, and definitely some of the glaring issues of Franklin's tenure was was there. There were some bright spots, right? I mean, um, Sean Clifford had a really solid passing day. Jahan Dotson had another 100-yard-plus receiving Still wish day. wish he had gone to him more and, and more often. Uh, well, that was one of the problems, I think, and we can, we can get into that, but... Um, but yeah, I mean, sort of being down early, coming back, making a great sort of run for it, and then collapsing by the end of the game, and that sort of whole close no cigar element of this—it just—it just really felt like everything we've seen over the last couple of years of, of Franklin's tenure. Um, I think first and foremost, we've been starting to kind of harp on this more and more over the last few weeks, are just some perplexing in-game decisions. And a couple of those that I think we're talking about is, you know, first of all, um, there were a couple of fourth and ones early on in the game when, I mean, in previous games where you're, you're you know, facing really, really tight competition, um, Franklin's kind of been aggressive and sometimes recklessly so in going for these. But this seemed to me like an occasion where, look, you've got nothing to lose. You're playing, you know, a, a nine-win top 12 Michigan State team, keep the ball in your hands and keep it moving. And we punted it away twice early and gave the ball the back to Michigan worst State. Worst pass defense in college football. And you, you on the two, on the two fourth and shorts, you punted. Um, and on another fourth and one, you And this was more it. consequential at the end of the game when you're really right. trying to right. – trying to get get the win right um you know get points or hold onto the ball i can't remember the situation but yeah it was fourth and one and you run kevon lee into like just a brick wall worst pass what defense is happening in the country by a long shot well and that's the other major perplexing you know decision is really just the whole game plan is that the whole season um, by the way not just this game <laughs> yeah. you know the microcosm of the season your game plan was not to, is totally to ba- have, try to have a balanced balanced attack where you you know you know that your run game and he is doubled not and working down very on well. it in the in the post game presser he's like he's like hey we want to be we got to be able to run the ball we got to be able to do it it's like yeah but we also got to be able to win the game yeah you can't win the game when you're beating your head against the wall literally you know i mean yeah i mean there there was i think a su- sequence in the fourth quarter where we ran the ball on three straight plays and had to punt it away and you know, I, again, it's not like Clifford was. Ha- it's not like the Illinois game where Clifford was having a really, really rough day passing the ball. Even in the snow, he was he, he was on point. He was accurate. For, yeah, and and for what it's worth, Andy, you know, in in our in the 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 pass game, if you compare like what's more efficient in that game with with try, trying to be balanced or whatever the heck, Clifford per attempt was averaging nine point two yards per attempt in the game. Right. Not not just com- per completion, right? Correct. Per correct attempt. Per attempt. So every time he drops back to attempt the pass, he averages nine. Average it out per pass. Nine point two and, per pass. And how about for every play that we attempted to run? What did for we every get? Every play we attempted to run, 
we averaged 2.3 yards per run. That's not very good, and man. And that's, that's only factoring in um, Clifford only lost – he, well, he lost 25 yards on, on with sacks. So you you take that off of Kevon Lee's 79 yards. But even Kevon Lee, you know, at 5.3 yards per rush – you know, that's still not even half, close. That's half as, as efficient, almost half as efficient as what Clifford was doing yeah. through the air. And that's in the so, and again, by the way. And, and again, you got the I mean, this is 130th team passing defense out of 130 teams in the FBS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when when the game is on the line in the fourth quarter, you're running the ball. I mean, I you know. One of the things that's really interesting, you know, about getting to watch a lot of football is you get to watch up how, how a lot of different teams do it. And one of the things that, you know, um, was really interesting to me was the Tom Brady-led New England Patriots of the last few years when they did not have a good running back. And you know what they did on almost every play? Threw the ball, dude. Yeah. You yeah. got Tom Brady. Yeah. You got, like, Julian Edelman or, you know, a bunch of, like, receivers who can catch the ball in traffic and guess what they did they threw the ball almost all game like they ran the ball like 10 times a game what's so like i don't understand why this arbitrary attempt to um you know to have this balance because you know like, the balance isn't winning you the game so it, again it lost you four previous games essentially like this, the, yeah. I mean, really, the, we went, the, you and the, I went the, back through those other losses and we were right. like measuring the efficiency of the run game versus the pass game. And in all of those, all of them, all of our losses, our, our unwillingness to observe how inefficient and ineffective the run game was and still dying on that hill and not just dying on the hill in the game, but also dying on the hill after the game in post press conferences and, and, and post game press conferences and weekly press conferences, Franklin doubled and tripled down on his need and the team's need. So it's like, not only is Franklin like incapable of changing in game, he's incapable of changing in season. And it sounds like he's almost incapable of, you know, like changing game plans to what is, it suits us best. You know, from year to year, seems that way. Yeah, it's it's again, it's 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 perplexing and, um, and microcosm of the year again, and happen again. Yeah, you know, and and again, the those other games. I mean, other than the Iowa game and the Illinois game, that we didn't have a capable quarterback. Right, that was those were problems there when the run game was a problem because. It could cover up for a lack of a passing game. But the other games that we've lost, the other three games that we've lost, in a lot of ways, the inordinate attention we gave to attempting to run the ball when it was continued to be ineffective, um, it was really it was really frustrating to watch and and, it's and be very head scratching. Team too, it's got to be it's got to be really tough, yeah. you know. And the other yeah. the other side of it is uh, our defense had one of its worst games. Um, in my, I mean, we gave up thirty points. We were a team. It's first time all year. Yeah, and, and and you know, we basically Michigan State was able to do whatever they wanted, uh, both running and passing. They were just as efficient um, passing the ball as we were. Um, they did have. We, there was one interception. It was a great interception. Um, but I mean, Kenneth Walker had one hundred and thirty-eight rushing yards, averaging four point six with a touchdown, a long of thirty-five. Peyton Thorne even ran it for 39 yards, for crying out loud. As a team, they ran it for 183 yards. They controlled our defense that game in, in the game. And so, for, it, I mean, I, 
maybe that's a testament to Pry knowing he was going to leave. I have no idea. I don't know if that stuff came together afterwards. But the defense was – they missed as many tackles as they had all year. They took yeah. bad angles. The de- the defensive backs did not play – other than a couple individual decent performances, the defensive backs did not look great. Um, you know, Tariq Castrofield, you know, d- did what he does, which is shank a lot of passes and def- in defense. And Yeah, uh, another thing that we've seen throughout the year is not having the right personnel on, this oh, team, you know, on the field at, at, the, at the right situation. And um, in the fourth quarter, when Penn State's protecting a, you know, a, I don't know, it's like a three or four point lead, um, on a fourth and fifteen, fourth Johnny and Dick- goal, Johnny Dixon from the fifteen, Johnny Dixon, who transferred from Florida State, been a great special teams player for us all year, but like, he's not one of our top cornerbacks. He's not one of our top defensive backs What's he in that doing situation. In, there in that moment, he's in there on the guy who eventually caught. Now, look, it was a good. It, it was, was the, a good pass. It was a it was a it was a solid catch, and Johnny Dixon was in position to make the play. It was their Does, number one receiver, by the way, Andy. That that, that, yeah, that Johnny Dixon was I, on. I know, it was dude. it was J, it was Jaden Reed on a fourth and fifteen, and they scored a touchdown on it, and and it was it was to to, to secure the game for us if we had stopped them. Very similar to that Michigan game, right? right. Where where it's like uh, was it Kalen King who was on their on their? Why um, is Johnny Dixon covering their best? Wide receiver. It doesn't. It, I, don't know. I mean, we have Daquan Hardy. We have John. We have JPJ. I mean, even even put Tariq Castro Field on. I'm not even saying like you got to trust TC Tariq Castro Fields, but you got to trust him at least a little bit more than than Johnny Dixon. Who again, just being in critical situations and not having your best personnel out there is really hell. Again, it's really head scratching. It's not like this was like some random play in the middle of the game that you were getting your rotation in. This is like the for the game time. Totally. Yeah. So, in, in any case, um, look, I, I, part of why I was disappointed is because, you know what, after the Rutgers game, these guys looked like they were having fun. Well, you know, yeah. uh, you know I, and, and Michigan State had, had every reason to, like, phone it in. And the exact opposite thing happened in this game is that Penn State came in flat. They came in, you know, it seemed like they just – Either they didn't want to be there, or well, you know, maybe they were playing tight, or whatever it was. And and Michigan State, like Mel Tucker, had done something to lock them down, and they played sharp all game. And when it was crunch time, guess who came through? It was Michigan State, and their offense and their defense made the plays. And Penn well, State, did. the grizzled veterans on this team, I think you know they've got to be emotionally worn down after two seasons of. You know this kind of losing, yeah, losing culture yeah. that's been going on. Yeah. Now in the Rutgers game, I think the reason why it looked like they're having fun is: Do you realize how many underclassmen were playing in in, Interesting. in that game? Yeah, it's true. It's like, hey, we're it's having true. fun, including Christian Bayou. Right. We're, well, so there was a, a a surge of a different kind of uh, energy in in that game. You know, yeah. and it comes from a, a quarter. I I just I wonder if the the players that. Are still with this program right now are just worn down. It's it's hard. I mean, and like honestly, you know, we've talked about this in the past. I don't want to belabor it, but like it's a difficult season, not just like football season, but season in life. You know, I mean, I've got kids who are in school right now. It's things are not back to normal, but everyone expects them to be back. And to for normal. Michigan State, they have a total in, infusion and influx of new. 
energy from all of yeah. these other you know um, transfers that are coming in. And when that ball's rolling, it's that it's rolling good and it's looking great. So so yeah. when our ball's not that that our emotional floor, if you will, is very low. It is. You know? Yeah, I think that's a really good point, and, and that's I think that's a great way to describe it. Is that like. You know, we were up early in the season, and it's like as soon well, as that, as soon as we broke that bubble, fun. Franklin's look, like the floor just kind of kind of fell out. out. We never yeah. really regained yep. against top competition, right? Like, okay, yeah, so we beat Maryland, we beat Rutgers, great, but like against top competition or a re- someone who's putting up a real fight, even like a team like Illinois, we just didn't have what it took to yeah. go in. That once that emotional bubble was burst. It's kind of like the, losing Illinois. To, to me, losing Iowa didn't totally destroy us. It was, it was losing Illinois. And, yeah. and losing to Illinois like that is akin to the way we lost to Indiana last year. We still came out and had a decent game the next week. Or to against, Michigan State in We still came uh, out and had a decent game the next week against Ohio State. You know, we made it look respectable, but ultimately it just wasn't enough, and we just didn't regain it after that. It's yeah. Like, so – so look, let's let's talk about the season. Let's review it, and um, we're going to do this like we've done a couple times, taking a closer look as a blue and white breakdown. So here you go. Blue and white breakdown. Is that you playing the bass there, Andy? Uh, it is not. <laughs> it is not. I can play the bass for what it's worth, but that that was not me. Okay, cool. All right, so um, <laughs> lead us off with some offensive stuff here, Andy. Yeah, well, so look, um, there there were some interesting things that happened this year. There were, you know, I, we're seven and five is not where we wanted to be. Let's just state that right off the bat. Clearly, seven and five. Like when we were talking about looking ahead, and we looked at the schedule, we saw that it was going to be a tough, tough year. Well, we had guys that that declared to come back after last season. Clifford came yeah. back. You know, you had no, no. I, I'm with you. Like Dotson we had high back. expectations, but Rasheed we also Walker said came back. <laughs> we also said like it was a tough schedule. We did. Right? We knew. Yeah. And so, like, we kind of th- thought like the you know worst case scenario was maybe eight and four. Right, because of because <laughs> yeah, of the yeah, you know the four big now, games that we had seven and five coming seven oh. and five was like below what well, we thought. Or, or, at the beginning uh, of the season, you know, I would have said Franklin would have gotten fired for seven a seven and five season. I would have said that at the beginning of the season. Anything worse than eight and four is like Frank. Franklin got a contract extension. He got a yeah. mega deal <laughs> for seven and five. I mean, obviously we weren't seven and five when he got the deal, but. It's my. Blowing. I mean, it was a, it was my within the realm blowing. of possibility because he was going to play the number twelve team in the country, oh, right? Dude, so, 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 but in any case, it, it, this is not the season that we wanted to have. Um, there, you know, there were a lot of problems on the offense, but I, let's just start with some of the good things. And and I would just say one of the most fun things about the offense week in and week out was watching Jahan Dotson and Parker Washington a few weeks. You know, in there, Keandre Lambert Smith and these receivers make great plays. And I would say Sean Clifford, at his best moments, had a had a really really nice season. Okay, he you know almost three thousand. He was just a shade under three thousand yards in the regular season. Um, probably going to be it passes for more than a hundred yards in the in the bowl game, assuming there is one. He's going to have a three thousand yard season, which is no small thing at Penn State. Um, he finished the season at 62.4% uh, 
um, which I think is going to end up being close to the all-time record at Penn State for completion percentage. That's insanity. That's ridiculous um, to me. 20 touchdowns um, against only six interceptions, so he really cleaned up a lot of the turnover stuff from last year. 29 sacks. So that, that, that's a big, big number. And, um, you know, points to one of the major problems this year. But, you know, Jahan Dotson, over 1,000 yards receiving, 12 touchdowns, 13-yard average per catch, long of 87. And then you got Parker Washington, who's, you know, right on his heels, 722 yards on the season, four touchdowns, 12.7 average, and a long of 67 yards. So, I mean, our top two receivers are, are right up there. Um, Jahan Dotson getting a shaft with a second-team All-Big Ten selection. Second team? Are you kidding me? Um, had a great season. Um, Sean Clifford, by the way, our, your Big Ten Sportsmanship Award winner. Yeah, I don't know how that works. I couldn't find any information about it. But, yeah, and by the way, you, you mentioned it. Um, his, Sean Clifford will be the completion percentage all-time leader at Penn State. Well, he's got a bowl game, so. Uh, that's true. <laughs> also, right now he leads 61% overall, uh, just a shade over Daryl Clark, at who's, who was 60.2. All right, so Will Levis, by the way, is <laughs> 59.8. He's third. I don't. I mean, I don't know how he qualifies, but um, he probably doesn't. But Trace McSorley, 59.3. Matt McGloin, 57.4. Kerry Collins, 56.3. Christian really? Hackenberg, 56.1. Zach Mills, two year for, I'm sorry, Zach Mills and Anthony Morelli both tied for eighth, 56 even, and Chuck Fusina at 55.9. So holy crap, we don't have good passing completion percentage leaders in our history at Penn State. I guess not, yeah. Um, now, Sean Clifford also, I mean, just by, by virtue of the fact that he's a year three-year starter, he's going to be climbing the ladder in terms of total yards career-wise as well. I'm not sure where he is on that uh, you, front. You, I could tell you if you want. Let's hear it. What is it? Uh, actually, I don't have it here. I don't know. He doesn't have wait, it, wait, 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 wait. Passing yards career. Here we go. <laughs> Um, he is. He sits at third, seven thousand three hundred thirty-one, um, and the Hackenberg is at eighty-four twenty-seven. Trace McSorley is at nine thousand eight hundred ninety-nine. And then yeah, so he unless unless he three. comes back for a fourth season, oh, no, um, he's not gonna he's not gonna uh, make any movement there. But you're, he, that's your number three all-time he passing just leader. Passed Zach Mills. This like in that last game, he passed Zach. That's Mills. crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. So, um, so you know, it, there, there were some positive things in the passing game, but pro, you know, part of the problem which just wasn't very consistent. And you know, as we were just talking about, um, the intention of trying to run the ball really. It took away from our ability to exploit the, some of the strengths we had. So, so let's let's talk about the the run game. You know, there was a true or false earlier in the season uh, where the question was: we would, you know, true or false, we'll have a hundred yard rusher, and we can now confirm in the regular season the answer is false. Um, and 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 the the run game has just been to me the uh, utterly most maddening thing about this this season, uh, coupled with the lack of development on the offensive line. I think the O-line is lead dog there. I think because it, it, it all, it, it you know, all cl- just because of the O-line, all of our problems. I mean, Fra- Clifford probably throws for 3,500 yards if we have a better offensive line. Wow. I mean, think about it. Like, he's running for his life the entire time. He's getting yeah. beat up year after year. 29 sacks this season, so, I mean, yeah. I mean, That's every quarterback under Franklin has been under duress their entire career. 
Yeah, it's true. <laughs> right. I mean, part of, that's part of what made Trace McSorley such uh, a great quarterback is because he, he could, could handle feel, that pressure feel the so well, and he knew how to, yeah, knew how to and, run and properly. escape and make you you know make he you was pay. Savvy, he was savvy back there for sure. Uh, but yeah, no, I think you're I think you're right. I mean, just the the lack of. I mean, and, and, and Franklin's gone through what Troutwine's now his third offensive line coach. Troutwine is his third up. Uh, maybe, yeah, because it was before him. He brought in Matt Linegrover from Minnesota. That, though. And there was there was Herb whoever hand. he started with, which Herb I don't hand, count, you know. Matt Limegrover and Troutwine. Yeah, I guess. That's I guess what I'm saying. He's on his third. third. And, and like and they Troutwine's, all sucked. I'm just going to say. Yeah, they I mean, all sucked. I mean, last year, and this is Troutwine's second season, and it's just... I mean, they made I, a miracle happen with their 2016 offensive line when they were all banged up and stuff like that, so... Well, it, and you know what? I mean, I remember Joe Moore had specifically recognized the line was a weakness, and he designed his offense around that weakness. Right. So, like, you and know... This, and this one, we've designed with the lack of knowledge that we have a weakness. <laughs> well, it's like, yeah, with totally blind to that weakness. Yeah. Like, you know, or, uh, again, ignorant to it, I think is the cor- cor- yeah. more correct word. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I, uh, here, here's the thing. Like, um, you, you just want to play to your strengths, right? I mean, like, that's how you want to design, you know, your, your management, approach to life right as you mm-hmm. you play to your strengths and try to avoid your weaknesses and, mm-hmm. and like you said we were liter- literally running into our weakness week in and week out and and um you know we just didn't seem to try to uh, try to manage around it when we had uh, i mean frank you know franklin had in john clifford Jahan dotson and parker washington you know you know, some really, really strong resources in the passing game. Uh, Mike Yersich um, and Franklin just did not seem to lean on it quite enough. And, and um, you know, when you're losing games by single digits, single score games in all but the Ohio State game, you know, just the inability to, you know, exploit your strengths and avoid your weaknesses is really a major, a major contributor. But, you know, like you said about, you know, losing Brent Pry and, and just wanting to have a defensive line that is dominant, like you've got to have that if you're going to be a top four type team. Similarly, you've got to have a dominant offensive line if you're going to have a top four type team. And you the at least got to have a serviceable one. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, it doesn't have to be a top four offensive line. You need a dominant line. D-line to, to win championships, but you but to also win championships, you need like an above average offensive line. I, top 20 at minimum. Yeah. And that, that goes, that's not just talent, right, um, and size, but it also goes to like scheme and, and how you're able to execute. And and on all of those fronts, Penn State's just really, really been Man, even, subpar. Even dating back to Bill O'Brien, who like allowed the – offensive line which was his yeah. position in college and his yeah, initial weird. position coaching uh gig in college we have just not had a good even a good offensive line since joe paterno and like uh, it's gotta be an emphasis dude it's got to be an emphasis i mean like to me top priority i mean drew lr is coming in right top he's priority. Um, you're gonna ruin this guy just like hackenberg was ruined if you don't have an offensive line you're gonna ruin this guy's ceiling you're going to ruin it if you don't figure you out just, this offensive line. You just um, mentioned uh, that that he's now the number three, not quarterback recruit. He's the, he's the number three overall recruit right recruit now, according to some some rankings. He's number like, one in the state of Ohio. He's number one quarterback in the country, and he's the number three overall recruit in the country, according to. And by the way, um, he's expressed 
a lot of support for Penn State. So this, uh, as, you know, of today, I, as recently as today, he is commenting positive things on social media uh, for Penn State and his his uh, you know eventual you know signing with Penn State. He's still yeah. all about it, including some of his other receiver recruits who are eager to be catching balls from him. So that's so, a great sign. That's and super it's, exciting. It's a miracle that he hasn't decommitted. <laughs> truly. Not not just because of our record, but because of the state of our line. And and like so again, I I think Christian Hackenberg's a great example because in a lot of respects, Drew Alar comes in with a lot of the same measurables. He's a tall guy, he's more of a pocket passer, a pro style. Um and you, you know, a, a sharp sharp on a lot of respects, but you know, you gotta be able to protect a guy and give him a chance to to use his skills. And and so I just I really think the offensive line has got to be the the number one focus, the absolute top priority if to get that line make figured out. Drew Alar means something to Penn State and and means something to James Franklin's tenure at Penn State, if you don't address the offensive line as your number one priority, you don't deserve the money that they're paying you. You don't. You, you, and, and, and Drew Allar should transfer if he comes to Penn State and, and in year one it's all still the same. He should transfer because yeah. he's going yeah. to ruin his potential and he's going to ruin his next you know step in, in, uh, in football, which is I'm sure he's thinking the NFL for sure. So I mean, one of the things that that's been exciting with Franklin, uh, you know, especially since Joe Moorhead came in, is the modernization of the Penn State offense. You know, right. I like having the opportunity to watch a fun offense, but we've still been frustrated. I mean, it's not six and four versus Iowa frustrating, but still been frustrated largely because of the lack of development on the offensive line. Now, so now, Troutman apparently had to retool his offensive um, uh, scheme, his offensive blocking scheme for getting, by the way, another offensive blocking rewrite for him, apparently, because that's two years yeah. in a row. He's had to redo it for for Penn State, first in his first year and now this year with Yursich, um, because Yursich came in and basically said, hey, this is, these are the kind of blocking schemes we need for my offense. So, yeah. so, uh, so, so, so stability. One, yeah, well, stability is the problem on offense, for yeah. sure. Yeah. But whether it's players getting injured, whether it's uh, quarterbacks getting injured, whether it's um, running backs getting injured, you know, whether the, it's new the coaches, carousel of offensive coordinators. Yeah, it's just and not, different not, schemes. So, and, so this is on Franklin to shore up. Like, you know, is this next year going to be a year where his offense can put it together because he's had his O line and his coordinator both around for two? Or you know, it's going to be their second year together. Are they are they capable of producing results with with? You know this offensive line. I don't know. I, no. I will not get my hopes up for it. I will understand if you know these last two years were as dismal as they were, given all those changes and instability. But I will not be holding my breath to see it. I, but at the same time, if Franklin doesn't fix it, what do you what 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 are you what are you doing as a coach if you can't yeah. develop this stuff? Well, and and like a lot of this is you know on the shoulders of Mike Yersich as well. His new. Um, offensive coordinator, um, as we, um, you know, I've been sort of talking about in the last few games, second half of the season, like we, the offense has just has not gotten going. And here's the thing. This was Franklin's guy, man. Yeah. Like we let go of Kirk Sharaka, who we thought could be a good offensive coordinator for Penn State after a COVID year when Penn State, you know, really dramatically underperformed. But for a lot of reasons, you just say you got to give a guy a mulligan. Well, guess what? He let Sharaka go because 
Yurcich was available. This was his guy. This was his dream hire. Well, so, but, uh, and on top of that, Andy, like not only, you know, Clifford has had to carry this offense entirely. Clifford and Dotson has had to carry this offense in, entirely. And some Parker Washington as well, too. But because we have uh, apparently all these four-star running backs that haven't been able to showcase their oh talent. And here we have ridiculous. apparently the number one, you know, five-star prospect in Nicholas. We Singleton. thought we were going to have, we thought the running game was going to be a strength this year because of our backs, yeah. right? There it, were three the, backs going into this season that were on like the Doak Walker award watch list. Oh my gosh. Three of them. It's head three, stretching. Uh, three backs. And, so, and, and your such as offense has been known to produce, you know, very good running totals. You just got to keep thinking to yourself, the, the, you know the common denominator is Franklin. So, so yeah. I, I my my big thing with Franklin right now is, you know, he has the ability to, to kind of like wipe his own slate clean right now and reinvent himself as a coach. And I'm telling you, if we don't hear about it in the off season that Franklin is switching things up, changing his process because he's going to have new players, he's going to have new coaches, you know, all over the place, and and he needs to like. Find a way to get himself and this team out of the rut that they are firmly and securely in, because well, they I'll cannot t- carry this lo- win- this this excuse me losing mentality, this losing like vibe that this te- well, as soon as this team loses a big game they're like out of it you know they 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 lose their their edge you know and and Franklin on top of it Franklin has lost his loses his edge in the moment he is faced with adversity and flounders. He loses yeah. his edge as a coach. You see yeah. it on the sidelines. Frank- you see it, you know, just in his face and uh, his demeanor, and and like he's got to snap out of it. He's got to change how that how those optics look, and he's got to change the way he approaches the offseason, the way he approaches the the pre, you know, the, the week leading up to games, because these new kids you know, coming in are excited to play. You know, adversity does prompt the kind of self reflection and change that might be needed. Unfortunately. You know, with this ten-year contract, there's not going to be the adversity of like being uncertain about your future, and so it'll be interesting to see how Franklin responds. This was not the season that Franklin wanted on the field, um, and you know, will it be enough to to make a shift? I'll be interested to see. But but the other thing, I, I think it's really just important to note. Getting back to Mike Yursich, this is the lowest offensive output. Uh, from a points perspective that we have seen since John Donovan. Yikes. Do you know how many games we scored over 30 points this year? None. No, one. That's not no, true. No, no. We, no, we scored, scored. We had one game where we scored more than 30 points. That was one Big Ten game. We scored two. Ah, right, right. Ball State. Uh, we we ball scored State. Ball State. We scored 44. Woohoo. Villanova, we managed a whopping 38. And then Maryland was our only Big Ten right. game that we scored. Right. Over 30 with just 31 points. Our, we averaged 29.8 in our wins. But do you know we averaged last year during our four-game win streak? Like 32 or 33 points? For 36. Game? 36 points and, and we, in our win streak. <laughs> and we finished with a high of 56 when we beat... Um, Illinois at the we end of the season. Score. What was it? The end of the regular season, or the, the sorry, the regulation against Illinois this year? Ten. It was 10, like 10? eighteen, wasn't it? No, that or was no. the final. Oh, right, right, right. After all the, I can't, I can't remember. Anyways, honestly. it is bad. It, so it we scored fifty six against Illinois last year, and he brings in a brand. They bring in a brand new coach, and they they hold us to. Oh man, just and by the way, our our 
our defense played lights out this year. We were the what, in the top ten of scoring defense. We are uh, by the end of the year. Um, we were in the top five we, for a long time. I I I I made a mistake. I said that was the first time we've given up thirty as a defense this year. Um, we did that also against Ohio State. That was the most oh, right. we gave up was thirty three right. against Ohio State. Right, right, right. Do you remember? Do you remember Ricky Ronnie's? Uh, average points per game, like the Ricky 36, Ronnie. Thirty six, thirty seven. Yeah, yeah, We and we were yeah. so eager to get rid of Ricky Ronnie. And, and like we were he scored thirty. Ricky Ronnie compared to these. Last if we scored two years. just our average under him. We beat Ohio State because of our defense. So, yeah. you know, so that this was a Mike Yersich's offense had some moments of 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 excitement, but overall we did not get into the end zone nearly enough. We did not have enough consistency. Now, certainly a lot of that is. I mean trying to run the ball and we, you know, we just didn't do it, you know? Yeah. Maybe, you know, maybe they said, look, this is a long game, you know, you got to give me this year. I got to teach my guys the offense, you know, you know, we got to run the ball. And if you want success next year, you know, you got to let me run it this year. Maybe that was the choice that was made, but seven and five ain't going to cut it. No. And, um, yeah. So we're going to have to see major, major growth on the offensive side of the ball next year. And I'm, I'm concerned. I am valid. <laughs> all right. But we also need to talk about the defense and there are a lot more exciting things to talk about the defense, not all good and warm and fuzzy, but they, but were, a lot more. they were great for the, the, the first five, six, seven games of the season. You know, they were pretty awesome. Um, but you know, they finished the season ranked seventh in the country, uh, averaging 16.75 points per game. And obviously, you know, they gave up, uh, over 30 points a couple times and they still were ranked seventh in the country with that, that points per game. And two shutouts. Um, I yep. don't know when the last time we had two shutouts in a season, but yep. it's been a while. Uh, Clemson was ranked second in the country in scoring defense with 15. So, so, you know, we were just, we were point, uh, one, one and three quarter points behind the number two scoring defense in the country. So that's not shabby territory. Georgia, you know, a whopping 6.92 points per game. That's just unbelievable generational type of best defense you could possibly imagine. But, but Clemson, um, uh, Clemson and Texas A&M uh, allowed 21 touchdowns, and we were tied with them for second in the country with the least amount of touchdowns given up. All right, Clemson had uh, had uh, get, only gave up. Um, Clemson would not. I'm sorry, Georgia gave up nine. I apologize. Co- Georgia gave up nine. Um, no, that's not that's not true. Clemson gave up nine. I think Georgia gave up like uh, only a few or something like yeah. that. Um, but so the pass rush, you know, while it was pretty good with with our with our, our defensive ends, our makeshift Luketa uh, coming in and, and filling filling some voids when when we had some players go down in, in the off season. Um, but AK was a first team All Big Ten on defense um, in the coaches and in the media. Um, uh, he was a, he's a finalist for the Ted Hendricks Award as the top defensive end in the country. He wasn't even named in the preseason as a top name for the award. Like he was he he wasn't even on people's radar. It just shows how amazing his performance. This exactly. Year really I mean, was. coming in from from Temple, y- y- we knew we had uh, a good player coming in. We just didn't know how good, and and, and he proved it uh, week in and week out. He was third in the Big Ten in sacks with nine and a half. He was first in the Big Ten in tackles for loss with 18, 15 of which were solo. By the way, which was also wow. first in the Big Incredible. Ten. Incredible. He also led the Big Ten in blocked kicks with two. <laughs> um, <laughs> there you go, and man. For, by the way, for as good as Luketo was and filling the void and switching 
you know, roles to being a defensive end. Um, he actually only had uh, five, uh, excuse me, a half a sack on the season. Um, but he, but he made up, made up for it with with tackles and tackles for a loss. And he was. Uh, I mean, he was great in just sort of locking down that side. I, I, I mean, he he was pressuring the quarterback a lot. I'm surprised to know that he only had half a sack. But yeah, it seemed like anytime the play went his way, you could trust him to lock well, it down. Well, so that's that's the kind of thing, Andy. You know. Uh, even for as good as um, Arnold Abiquetti was, the the pressure again in the biggest games at the in the biggest moments in the biggest games, the pressure on the quarterback always seems to kind of just like filter away half a step too late. Yeah, and 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 I it's just you know we haven't had that like a you know as a dominant force I think since those like you know Jimmy Kennedy days those Tom Bahali days when we really were getting after and crashing the pocket on these quarterbacks so um we there's room for improvement but like again AK first team unanimous uh, all big 10 incredible player going to going to be sad to see him go but he's certainly going to be uh first or second round traffic I would imagine yeah i mean I, you know the bend don't break has definitely been a theme and and you get some splash plays here and there you get some like third or fourth down stops or some, you know, uh, red zone stops. But but it does seem that, like, I'm, in the biggest of the big games, well, I mean, the, that, the talent, that's when, that, that's, that that's when you just sort of, you let up, you give up that one or two plays that, that, that change the game. Losing Mustafa hurts. Losing Antonio Shelton hurts. Um, you know, but, but we, the talent is there and, and for as much as I, I love Brent Pry, I just, I don't know if he was able to maximize talent over the years on the defensive line, unfortunately. Well, not only, not only that, I mean, he was the linebackers coach, right? And, sure. and he's, by the way, brought in some really, really highly touted, very talented linebackers. Um, you know, Brandon Smith being the latest, but you also look at, you know, Micah Parsons, who's, you know, in line for being the rookie of the year in the NFL, I think in a favorite at this point. He might um, even be he might might be an outside shot of getting defensive player of the year or defensive yeah, MVP. Uh, yeah, it depends so, on how the season ends up for the Cowboys for sure. But um yeah. So so I mean, but even like when Micah Parsons was with us, he never seemed to achieve his potential. Well, Meanwhile, Brandon Smith, you know, who's just a beast and extremely um, you know, extremely athletic. Um, seems to be missing more tackles than well, he's making. Well, Brandon Smith, <laughs> you know? has, yeah, he's only had 81 tackles this year. Once he was given that that Micah Parsons role on the defense, he, he had nine tackles for a loss, which is pretty good for uh, a linebacker, but only two sacks. So, so he's kind of just a, a step a step behind, you know, in all those best playmaking moments. Uh, he, he whiffed a lot of times. He um, he certainly took bat- poor angles. He he doesn't wasn't quite living up to the Micah Parsons role, which I, I'm not saying he needed to, but everybody was expecting to, expecting him to, and and that might have been. He has some of the some of the same uh, ability and intangibles. Yeah. Um, you know, not thinking anyone's saying he's at sort of the level of Micah Parsons, but he's in the same mold for sure. Well, if you if you remove Lucetta from the linebacker group, which he played as a DN basically the majority of the season, he did fill in a few times for some dinged up guys, but um, the linebacker group only posted five sacks on the year. Yeah. Like, that's, that's not what you want to hear from – your whole linebacking core at LBU linebacker. I mean, you, I mean, we could have used five sacks in the last 
five games yeah, to really help exactly. turn the or even <laughs> turn or even the season, yeah, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. Um so now now with with some of that bad we're talking about that there is some good. Um, you know, it took it took um in Micah Parsons last year with us, it took him thirteen games to to crest over um one hundred tackles. Ellis Brooks did it in the Michigan State game in twelve games and it's the first time a Penn State player, a Penn State linebacker um reached a hundred tackles or more in twelve games. Um since Mike Hall did it in 2014. Yeah, wow. And by the way, so that leads the, uh, I'm sorry, it doesn't lead the big, he leads the team in tackles with 100, and he's fifth in the Big Ten with 100 as well. So Ellis Brooks had, had a pretty good year by all by all counts, but um, he only had two sacks on the, on, the, on the season as well. So, you know, we weren't maximizing the linebacking uh, unit, I don't believe, um, just kind of, Filling, filling some holes and plugging some gaps is, is and, and you know making some good tackles here and there. Now, meanwhile, the secondary, um, you know, in a lot of ways, was a real strength this year, which is which is great because it was has has been a liability in other years. Definitely, a couple of breakdowns and and some key games uh, were disappointing, and and as you said, um, seemed to fall off the second half of the season. Um, nonetheless, like watching. Jaquan Brisker every week wearing that number one, um, you know, he just he was an incredible, incredible defensive player, probably the star of the team on defense. I can't imagine he, you know, would be anything other than a, a first round pick, if if not, you know, early second round. Just you know, got everything you want he's, in a football he's, player. He's one of those uh, Bruce Feldman. Um, Two-time freaks. He, he freak, yeah, and he freak lived list. up to it on yeah. the field. Is kind of what I'm saying. Two hundred five pounds. Six. He's like six foot. Six foot one. The guy runs a four three forty. He's a unanimous All Big Ten defense coaches and media. Um, and he 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 coming from Lackawanna Community College. Um, played lights out and did everything we asked him to do and and stepped up big in in the bi- the biggest moments of, of games. Um, yeah, time um, time. Jair Brown, his, um, his, his teammate, second uh, starting safety, um, had a solid game. I mean, he made some critical plays as well in a lot of games. Uh, by the way, he got a third team Big Ten honor. Yeah, a little um, this shocking year, to only cool. see a third third team. <laughs> Third team there for him, which cool, but also I feel like low. I feel like getting a little. I don't know. He, this this Jair Brown uh, filling this other side next to John Quan Brisker was not a foregone conclusion uh, in the off season for Penn State. There yeah, were I a, agree. Bunch of other we thought guys. maybe Jonathan Sutherland would get it. Yeah, and and this guy in his first year without any expectations overperformed in my opinion, and yeah, and, definitely, and made a name for himself in the Big Ten, and I, I'm certainly hoping he sticks around for next year because we'll, we'll need him. We're gonna need him. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I agree. Uh, meanwhile, two guys that we do hope will stick around next year are are two really solid cornerbacks for us this year, um, Joey Porter Jr. and Daquan Hardy, who really uh, had a, had a lot of really nice plays as a nickel corner. For us, um, Joey Porter Jr. Um, started off the season just amazing. Was just really untouchable, and then you know seemed that over the last month to really fall off and get beat a couple of times. And um, that was a little a couple of uh, untimely you know uh, pass interference penalties and stuff like that. But nonetheless, the talents there, the abilities there. Um, you know, I'm glad to see um, those guys on the field. They feel confident with them and hope they come back. Uh, meanwhile, our our second starting cornerback, um, Tariq Castro Fields, after his 
you know, 14th season is finally moving on from Penn State. Um, a little tidbit on Qua- Daquan Hardy and, uh, um, uh, excuse me, uh, Jair Brown. They both were in the top 20 in passes defended in the Big Ten. Um, so, Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of targets, that, and, and you know, they, they acquitted themselves quite well uh, much of the time. So, you know, I'd say the secondary, the big, the big thing I would say about the secondary is – you know, they missed a bunch of interceptions that could have turned certain games, and that was dropped straight up, dropped straight up drops, yeah. and and that's unfortunate. Um, but but they were a real strength of the team, and and um, you know, Anthony Poindexter in his first season as our secondary coach um, showed what he can do, and I'm I'm, I'm hopeful Listen, for some good things. This secondary, Andy, is light years better than what we've been seeing the last couple light of years. years so light years I'm, I'm, I'm so really thrilled with awesome. how they played, and I'm I'm. Sad to see some of them go, minus uh, Tariq Casterfield, sadly. <laughs> I would say, um, and we're going to talk about special teams, but, you know, uh, even on defense, like with the offense, I, there really was kind of a tale of two teams, yeah. you know, a tale of two seasons. That, you know, the first five games, and Penn State, I don't know if you guys remember this, but, like, we're up to number four in the rankings. And then, you know, that That feels like ominous, forever ago ominous moment when Clifford got knocked out and just the season and we just never recovered as a team even after Clifford came back and um, never looked the same and it felt a little bit like a paper tiger the first half of the season after the way things turned out Um, you know you really want to see an opposite kind of trajectory Um, and um, you know both on the offensive side and on the defensive side we just weren't able to close games out even though we kept them close yeah, so that's it's a bummer, and 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 you, just, you kind of feel bad about it, just even thinking about it right now. Do you know the last time that Penn State lost back-to-back five win seasons or five or more win seasons? Sorry, five or more loss seasons. Do you know the last time we did that, Andy? It's got to be the Joe Paterno era, early two thousands, right? James Franklin's first two seasons at Penn State. Oh, <laughs> I was just looking at. Oh up. yeah, yeah, two seven and fives, right? Yeah. Well, the two, well, two seven and sixes because we 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 played and ended up losing the bowl game. We pulled, we won one of the bowl games and then lost the other. I yeah. think so. All right, seven and six, boy. I really hope I really hope we avoid a seven and six this year. That that feels that would just feel like the rotten cherry on top of the melted ice cream cone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I felt the need to bring that up, but let's move on to the special teams here, Andy. Yeah, special teams. Let's just touch on briefly. Jordan Stout um, just had himself a year as a punter. Yeah. I mean, that's really the most significant thing to talk about with special teams. But, you know, why don't we just recap Jordan Stout's punting season for us this year? I mean, we will start with the the good, which is the punting for sure. (laughs) Because the field goal uh, aspect of him left a lot to be desired. And he is going to make a name for himself in the NFL, I believe, because because this is the best punting season we have had at Penn State since Blake Gillikin, by the way, who's doing unbelievable things in the NFL, which he was the NFC Player of the Month in the month of October with the New Orleans Saints. Crazy. He's doing great, doing great. Uh, but apparently Stout is even better than him. Um, so, you know, again, it might be the best punting season in Penn State history. This season, Stout averaged 50 yards or better in five games. 25 of his 62 punts went 50 yards or longer. He landed 30 He landed 34 of those punts inside the opponent's 20, including 6 each against Illinois and Rutgers. He's a finalist for the Ray Guy Award. Stout leads the country in average hang time at 
0.6 seconds per per kick per punt and an overall grade of 93.1 according to Pro Football Focus. He has averaged 46.55 yards per punt, which is a full five yards better than he was punting last year for us. Wow, dude. Yep. So he won. He's That's crazy. He, he's the Big Ten punter of the year. It's the first ever for a PSU punter in the 11 years of the award. Stout is the first Penn State specialist to win a Big Ten player of the year award since Saquon Barkley was named the, re- the top return specialist in 2017. And last but la- not least, he is a finalist for the Ray Guy Award. And I would imagine if it were me giving the award, it's probably going to be the one that wins it. Yeah, you know, I just... I- I was just realizing as you're talking about this, you know, he he came as like a kickoff specialist. Yeah, Virginia Tech. It was like his yep. his leg. Oh, and he still does that great. But like, you don't win. Of course, you don't win uh, an award for being the best kickoff specialist in the country. Kicking it off the out of the end yeah, zone that, 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 as many times as he does. It's a field goal kicker's award for kicking. You don't. So so this has really been uh, a, a, an element of his game that that. Like you said, he's averaging five yards per punt better. Yeah. Five yards on average yeah, over the course of sixty-two increase. It, it is not just incremental. That's that's a really well, he even significant said in the offseason that he can he can be better, and I and he, I think he meant he could be better at field goal kicking, but he also meant he could do better <laughs> at punting as well. And he really wanted to focus on getting better at all the things. And he he talked about it in his offseason regimen how he was going to get better at these things, and he's working hard on it. So obviously the work paid off. I don't know if he's going to be a kicker in the next um, at the next level, but most punters aren't. So I, I can yeah. see him being a punter. Well, a he's got a great specialist. career punting, yeah. um, you know, and of course, as we, as we've seen, you know, in a lot of games, having a great punter can make the difference. Having, having a punter that you can rely on to pin somebody deep or get you out of a Virginia jam. Virginia Tech and, didn't um, have a scholarship for this guy. That's ridiculous, man. <laughs> that's wild. So, um, you know, I just, I just, you know, I just want to say, um, it's just a little bit of a shame that he had this kind of a year and we didn't have a better win-loss record to, for him to feel like, you know, he contributed to some success for the Penn State. I mean, no doubt he did contribute. I, I, that was, I don't remember him ever having a bad punt all year. So our losses really had nothing to do with him. <laughs> but nonetheless, you know, you, you'd well, like someone to have hunting. a... <laughs> well, uh, very good point. Very good point. Nothing to do with his body. Yeah, that's um, true. I mean, we did lose. By the way, we lost by three points against Michigan State, and he missed four points worth of kicks. Mind you, he was also so. the one that didn't convert the two point conversion. <laughs> oh, God, you have to bring that up and too. fumbled oh, it. Oh, my gosh. So, and no offense oh, to him. He's, that was uh, a poor call on, him, on, on Franklin to do that. But <laughs> as far as his field goal kicking goes, he missed seven field goals yeah. on the year, unfortunately, and Ooh, two extra points. That's not good. You know, so yeah. uh, if you're going to try and do that at the next level, you got to shore that up because he was 16 of 23 for a 69.6% um, conversion rate on his field goals. That's not going to cut it. I think we are, by the way, I think we've got a top kicker coming Yeah, we, have in. A, we do. We yeah, absolutely do. I don't remember his name, but, so, but that's that's good news. Time is, time is right Curious for that. Curious that Pinnegar never really got uh, a shake again uh, this, yeah. this season after yeah, he was injured in the offseason. Um, now, is Jordan Stout leaving? Is this his last year? I, he, I can't remember. I'd be willing to bet that this is, uh, unless he come, I, I maybe he's got a fifth year of eligibility. I mean, after that kind of, oh, technically he, he has could get, a fifth he could, year of eligibility. He could land an NFL Yeah, if he job graduated, year, so I, I can't back. imagine 
that that he has he's get he'll get drafted probably. And maybe it's a six yeah, or seven last round, thing, but yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, last thing to talk about just with with uh, special teams is just that yeah, with zero splash plays in the return game this year, zero. Yeah, there's no nothing doubt. worth talking about there, which is unfortunate. We're eighth in the Big Ten in our kick return game, averaged eighteen point five yards. Not to mention that fumbled return in the Michigan State game that really, um, in a lot of ways, probably lost us the ability to win the game, you know, when you turn it over that, that deep into your own territory. Um, we, likewise, we are ninth in punt returns with only a seven-yard average, even though Jahan Dotson was back there waving they his hand. They somehow gave him an honorable mention play. for his kick re- or his punt returning ability, which is like, is that just because he was the, the man at it last year? I don't, I don't know either. But by the way, speaking of him getting all Big Ten honors, you know the coaches gave him a, a second-team uh, vote? He was a second-team yeah, wide we, receiver. Why? Yeah, we talked about why? that. We talked about it. I just – why? I talked about it. I don't want to talk about it again because it's upsetting. It is. It's dumb. It's dumb. The coaches are dumb. <laughs> <laughs> and they make all the money. Yeah. Um, all right. So um, – <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um well look, that's our that's our season in review and I wish I wish there were more I wish there were more interesting, exciting things to talk about. It, it's definitely a situation, you know, different than last year, but similar like you get to the end of the season you say I guess we got to look forward to next year. We're going to have a lot of turnovers. So there's going to be a lot of like intriguing what's going to be happening with it, particularly the offense, especially. Um, and I, I'm not even sure what to make of what's coming back on the defense yet, but we'll get in that in, into a few future episode after our bowl game. Um, um, and and let, why don't we get into our mailbag at this point? Yeah. I mean, it's a good, uh, it's a good kind of segue into the mailbag um, in terms of what do we have to look forward to. Um, let's open it up. Mailbag time. So just one entry today. Uh, this from uh, Joel Bettner. It's a true or false. And bro, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it to you to to start it off. Here's the true or false. Overall, and not just the past seven games. Overall, this. Penn State team is trending in the direction of becoming great. I mean, you got to say false right now, um, unfortunately, because, like I said, I, you know, we this is the first time we've we've had back to back five plus losing seasons since Franklin's first two seasons, and you can't even say that we're dealing with the sanctions of what Franklin was dealing with no. back then. This is I mean, this is Franklin's team through yeah, and through. So, right? He's had a, a couple of recruiting classes come and go at this now, point. Now that's not to say to me that there's not um hope or a bright light at the end of the tunnel. Um but it, it's just it's trending in the wrong direction and there's gonna be need there's gonna need to be significant work to trend in the other direction. Uh, can it flip on a dime? Yes. You know, look at what how we started the season. Five five wins in a row. Flipped on a dime, you know, in terms of, like, how we were trending. Um, but that was also due to the way we won our final four games of the year before. So that trend kind of started the year before. Um, so capitalizing on offseason momentum is going to be huge. And, and that's really kind of all hinging on keeping this recruiting class 
together and who you're hiring because that's where the trends can can kind of begin is winning the offseason um, and uh, getting the right players and the right coaches on board for, for turning things around here. So so false that we're trending the right direction, but I think there's there's room for it to, to, to shift and, and start going in another direction. Yeah, I also say false. Um, it's disconcerting um, to have lost – five games and to lose them the way that we have lost them, especially uh, after, you know, having such a, a promising start to the season. I certainly, I would have, you know, taken a, a, a one or two, even a three loss Penn State team this year and say, we're trending in the direction of becoming great. But to lose five this well, year. Look at it this way, Andy, like, like two years in a row now, Penn State has lost five of of seven games of a, of a block of games. Penn State has lost five yeah. out of seven of of games in two year, two seasons in a row, and that's yeah. It, it it's it's not you know it's it's a an extended skid. Um, you know, again, are there mitigating circumstances? Sure. Like, look how hard our schedule was. Look at you know, of our five losses, four of them were to teams that are currently ranked in the top, you know, fifteen. You know, so it's 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 not like we're you know now Illinois. That's another story, but um, it's still like I don't care. It obviously doesn't matter who the opponent I, is. The it point doesn't because it, yeah, you, yeah, no, no. I, I mean, I, I mean, you because you like you, as Penn State, you expect yourself to be at the top of that East Division table, right? And guess who we're behind? We're behind Michigan, Ohio State, and Michigan State. I think that if, if Penn State, if if James Franklin had put the emphasis on having a great offensive line, like making that a priority, a guy like Sean Clifford could have over overperformed. He could have exceeded absolutely. expectations. And as it stands, he probably exceeded what was on the table for him to 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 do with the you know the the resources that were in front of him on the offensive line. He probably did exceed what was his his ceiling with that. Like I don't know, you put. Um, Look! Look! You put Taquan Roberson in there, and it just looked like he had no idea what was going on. You know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, look, Sean Clifford. For as much as we've sort of criticized him and wished more out of him, he like, probably squeezed more. He's got the top completion percentage in Penn State he history. He squeezed more out of a crappy offensive line, personally, from yeah. a passing game perspective, than than uh, you know a lot of other people probably would have. So you know, yeah. and it's unfortunate that we we. Br- had to brutalize him in the process and 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 likely <laughs> ruined his ability to be you know a, a draft pick in the end for the NFL. I'm yeah. I'm yeah, not saying who knows. He w- maybe he gets a maybe he gets a free agent and you know undrafted free agent and 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 show someone something in the in the NFL. It'd be good I'd, for him. I'd be willing if to he bet does, that but. he is a, a a broken pocket passer. The way that Hackenberg I bet he'll be was. better. I bet he'll I bet he'll have a much better career than Christian Hackenberg. Honestly, I'm not saying uh, if he, he won't if he makes or it. will. I'm just saying <laughs> I don't think that that his ceiling will ever be realized. Um, unfortunately, I, don't, I mean, give him a decent offensive line. Who knows? But in any case, uh, you know, I would say, uh, I mean, to me, it comes down to coaching and some of the things that we have talked about throughout this season continue to be problems. You know, the inability to seize momentum when you have it or to regain it when you lose it. Like that's on Franklin. It's not even you know, just that. He's got to do some. Not, he's got to do some self scouting on that. It's the killer instinct um, on know, top of that. Not just season momentum. Absolutely. Habit, but, but but bury the opponent when you when you're smelling blood in the water. 
Um, there's some execution issues with Penn State, right? Like untimely penalties, turnovers, just you know, having a game plan that isn't properly. I mean, how many times have we started the game with the three and out in the last couple seasons? So, you know, it's like you're you're walking up to, you know, the, the precipice of the game. And, and then when you get there, the execution isn't where it needs to be. Or if it's not at the beginning of the game, it's at the end of the game. And then finally, like or the end losing of the first these close games, losing the close games against top competition, right? Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of that comes down to coaching decisions, comes down to, you know, in-game management. It comes down to, um, you know, putting your talented players into the position to win you the game. And, and oddly enough, Franklin talks about all these things in his press conferences, but he, we're just not seeing it show up in the actual game. Is Franklin a guy that can get you there? Maybe. I hope so. Can he be the first African-American coach to win a national title and can he do it with Penn State? I hope so. But like, you know, odds are maybe it's Mel Tucker, the way that Mel Tucker, you know, coached his team this year. By the way, he's, you know, I think won Big Ten Coach of the Year, you know, for all he his did. effort. So, so um, you know, Franklin's got some growing to do and I hope he does it. We're not currently trending in the right direction. Do I have hope that we can get there? Yes, I do. <laughs> hope. It's all we got as Penn State fans. It's all we've. It's all we've had. It's all we've had. Um, well, look, guys, uh, we're, we're way we over. have gone long. We're way over. We have gone long, uh, pro- pushing two hours. Thank you for sticking with us, not just through this episode, but through um, through the whole season, the last two seasons, for that matter. Um, we got a couple more episodes for you before the end. We're going to do a pre bowl. Uh, assuming Penn State goes to a bowl, <laughs> um, we're going to do a pre-bowl episode. We'll preview uh, our opponent and talk about the uh, the bowl games that have happened, or preview the um, you know the playoff games. And then we're also going to do a post-bowl game after that. Um, you know, probably the, within the week after that game, we'll, we'll recap the game, whatever happened, preview the national title game, and and do the look forward to next year. So you get two episodes coming at you. It'll be around the holiday time. Again, probably uh, within a week of when that wet bowl game is the next time you hear for us, hear from us. Um, meantime, uh, Tom and I are going to be talking about uh, Blue and White Brothers together and, and what we like, what we didn't like. We're going to do some self-scouting ourselves. Uh, for those of you who stuck with us, if you would like to share some of your thoughts about what you've liked, what you haven't liked, any suggestions or comments uh, for next season, which we expect there will be one, uh, we'd love you to, to hit us up with that. Uh, feel free to mail us at blueandwhitebrothers at gmail.com. Until then, guys, I hope you have a great holiday season, however you celebrate. And, bro, it always starts with I love and you. And it ends with I love you, Andy. Thank you, Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> my Love you too, bro. First name Andrew. Um, or as we call you in this house, Thermax. Uh, yes, Thermaximus Decimus Iridius. <laughs> All right. Hey, thanks for ha- being here, guys. Uh, I hope you enjoyed uh, the, our last <laughs> of the regular season, if you will. Uh, episodes, and we're looking forward to seeing who our bowl, po- bowl opponent's going to be, and we're going to get you some some pregame stuff on that as soon as we can. All right, we are 
Penn State. Thanks for listening to the Blue and White Brothers. Join us next time for another great episode about Penn State football. Want to make sure you don't miss an episode? Be sure to hit subscribe before you go. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't hesitate to give us a five-star review with overwhelming words of adulation and praise. 